This year, millions will be diagnosed with low energy, but Planet Fitness has the cure. Boost your energy with tons of equipment in our clean and spacious clubs for $1 down and $10 a month. Offer extended through January 19th. See Home Club for details. Radio. Let us open up the speaker chat here. Get the radio side going. So that way, Bill WD-40 can get in there and lube us up for tonight's show because you got to slide in smooth for a good radio show. All right, Belenia, my man, how are you? Tombstone, good to see you. Vash the Impaler, thanks for coming on in. Raymond L., welcome to SOR Chat. Skip to Maloo, good to see you. Hi, Matthew Goodka and Digger Dog. Corey Cole, thank you for coming on in. Derek Ning, always good to have you back, my man. And who else do we have here? Mennonite Abe, always a pleasure. As we scroll on down, I think we are officially caught up. Woo! That was a mouthful, people. That was a mouthful. Thank you, lovely LaVira, for that awesome super chat. Very much appreciated. Hey, people, if you haven't already, check the ticker down below. Join us in Las Vegas, Nevada, May 19th through 21st for the second annual Spaced Out Radio Fan Party. Uh, We want to see you all there. Get your emails in. Kat is going to be emailing you all soon with your ticket packages. Tell her what you want. Do you want a VIP package? Do you want just a regular ticket? That is up to you. Make sure you get in, though. And uh, Thor Pankow, thank you for coming on in. Maggie M10. Deb from SAC, thank you for the super chat. Horns up. Let's rock. of Central British Columbia to you listening around the world. This, my friends, is Spaced Out Radio. I am your host, Dave Scott, sitting in the captain's chair of SOR headquarters. We welcome you to tonight's show on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor and hit that subscribe button. You can follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the news, wire, check out our swag as well. Tonight's show is brought to you by Chive Charities. Help make the world 10% happier by visiting Chive Charities today. You can find them on our website. We got a power show of UFOs for you tonight. Canadian researcher and author Chris Rutkowski is here to talk about what's going on with disclosure north of the border. Then in hour number three, we're going to head to the swamp with our resident swamp dweller. Then after that, little Timmy Senor, our resident Timbit, him and I will get at it for the UFO report. Chris Rutkowski has published nine books on the subject of UFOs. Chris has also contributed chapters to many anthologies such as Phenomena, Frontiers of Reality, and UFO 
1947 to 1997, a 50th anniversary review of the UFO phenomena. He was a contributing editor of International UFO Reporter and was the editor of the Swamp Gas Journal, an occasional UFO zine first published in 1978 when he was a part of decadent Winnipeg fandom. He is a past president of the Winnipeg Manitoba Science Fiction Society and was a part of the Winnipeg science fiction community that gathered Saturdays at the home of legendary first fan Chester Cuthbert. He is also a past president of the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada and best known as the man who provides all media outlets with UFO statistics each and every year annually. Chris Rutkowski, thank you so much for being on Spaced Out Radio. Do you know it's been almost eight years since you were last on here? Eight years. Wow. That's including a pandemic and everything. I know. It's about time. It's about time. I mean, I'm going to just say it. Thank you for retiring from your job. So now (laughs) that way you have time for us here. Yeah, you know, and I do have some projects on the go already. So, uh, yeah, it makes makes perfect sense. I got to ask you, Chris, have you always been a UFO buff? Is this where, you know, you've wanted to do this since childhood or did you just kind of fall into it? Oh, wow. Um, I'd have to say that, I guess I, I, not since childhood, childhood, although, you know, I remember um, my parents plopping me in front of the TV set to watch the Gemini and Mercury launches. Uh, Yeah, I'm that old. Um, And I remember um, uh, in school, in high school, they wheeled out a black and white TV so we could watch Neil Armstrong walk on the moon, that type of thing. Um, but the UFO thing came about because there was a big uh, flap and a wave in the mid-70s. And um, I got hooked on astronomy, you know, because of the, the earlier stuff. But because of the UFO stuff that, that was happening, I you know, thought I'd investigate a few, talk to people who had seen it. And then in um, university... Um, uh, my profs were anti-UFO, like it's all nonsense type of thing. Uh, but the phone calls kept coming into the university's astronomy department from people who had seen them and wanted to talk to somebody. And I was in my prof's office. I remember this, that uh, the you know, I was talking to him about some assignment and the phone call came in from somebody who had seen a UFO and he was all ticked off about, oh, another one of these UFO calls. Um, and I said, you know what, why don't you give the phone call to me next time one comes in? And, Cause I'm right around the corner where I'm studying, uh, and I'll talk to them for you, you know, uh, it, it save you all the bother, you know, trying to get on his good side. And that started happening. And I, you know, I talked to, you know, many, many people and they realized, you know, they're not as, as crazy as my prof was making out. These are people who had seen things. They wanted some answers. So I started investigating, and you know, pretty soon I was asked to write about it and, and give lectures and stuff. So it, it wasn't from a real young age, and I never actually saw anything that spurred me to to uh, to investigate. But I was fascinated with the phenomenon and and why uh, science and why uh, the astronomers were so anti UFO all the time when it seemed to be something pretty normal. Now, you have driven most Canadian UFO researchers nuts because somehow, by the grace of the aliens themselves, you fell into this category where literally the DOD, the Department of National Defense here in Canada, turns over some of these reports to you. How did you manage to be that guy? 
Well, yeah, that it was a that was sort of a, a right place at the at the right time. Um, you know, I went on and got my uh, uh, my astronomy degree, and then I got a degree in uh, uh, in science education. Um, and along the way, I ended up um, working for the Department of National Defense as a contract uh, employee. And I happened happened to be in Ottawa uh, in the uh, National Research Council itself, uh, which was the, the the body that was receiving the UFO reports. Uh, and I was, you know, having coffee with one of the profs uh, who was in charge of that. And he was sort of saying, yeah, you know, we're going to try and get out of the UFO business. Uh, you know, it doesn't look good on the budget to have somebody, you know, having a UFO office. Um, and I said, well, you can always send them to me. And uh, he looked at me and he said, oh, yeah, well, we'll think about it. And that's the last I heard of it. This was in about 19, I know, 91, 92, 93, something like that. Um, and then in the year 2000, actually before, I think it was 1999, uh, I, I got a phone call out of the blue when I was back uh, back in, uh, in my own hometown. And uh, it was from a, an Air Force officer who said, are you the guy we're supposed to be sending the uh, the UFO reports to? And I said, well, sure, of course. Yeah. You know. uh, <laughs> why not? And, uh, and he says, OK. And then from that point on, I started getting uh, UFO reports uh, from uh, military officers, the reports that were sent from the public to Air Force bases uh, and uh, or Canadian Forces bases uh, and things that had gone in formerly to the National Research Council. Um, and, you know, it sort of uh, just kept on going from there. And uh, uh, I had I was asked to uh, to advise um, uh, various agencies and uh, uh, scientists on, you know, the UFO scene and uh, what what should be done with some of these UFO reports. What should Canada's policy be? And you know, it, it turned into a, a quite a, a very advantageous relationship. In that relationship that you have developed with Department of National Defense and other Canadian government jurisdictions, did you ever feel that there was a cover-up going on or truly that they didn't know what to do with these reports? Well, I, I have to say I, I, I didn't detect anything in the way of cover-up because I was getting the reports. I was getting these reports from military bases um, and, you know, if they were covering up, why would I be getting them? Uh, although I have no illusions that I was getting everything. I, there's no question that, uh, you know, I, my clearance was not, not high enough to, uh, to get absolutely everything. I can imagine there would be lots of uh, situations. And it's, this is, I think, my view on um, military and, and cover-ups uh, around the world, too, that I don't think... Uh, that all the cases are, are going to be made public. There's going to be situations where, you know, uh, uh, a pilot is flying a mission over, a, you know, on a, a very important uh, operation and the, he or she might see a UFO uh, or UAP. I mean, those types of reports under those situations, we, we probably shouldn't hear because they're, they would endanger the lives of some of the military personnel. Um but, uh, you know, I, I never saw anything uh, that seemed to suggest a cover-up. On the other hand, um, I also got the impression that they didn't know what to do with the UFO reports that they were getting. Uh, some clearly deserved more investigation, uh, and uh, there obviously had not been a, a, enough investigation. So 
I, I think there was this this attitude that uh, let's sort of put them off to the side, give them to that that Rutkowski guy, and if he investigates, fine. If not, you know, just leave them alone. But now things are getting a little different. Uh, now there's this, uh, you know, the UAP task force originally, and now the uh, uh, the all anomaly all anomaly uh, resolution office. So now we're getting. Um, you know, into a different era, and it's time, I think, for uh, for science to take another look at uh, at the UFO phenomenon in conjunction with military investigations. You are somebody who has investigated personal cases. You've in- investigated the government side of the nuts and bolts. What are we dealing with here? Because you have an entire experiencer platform that, you know, wants to know why them, what are they seeing and why are they experiencing what they're experiencing? But it seems like on a governmental side, whether it's the Canadian government or the United States government, it's very much about nuts and bolts, the technology and and what's with it. Where do you stand on that and how do you break it down? Well, I I have to go back um, uh, and talk about the the origin of some of this because you know, in the United States, um, you know, United States Air Force uh, had its Project Blue Book, so it was investigating the UFOs from a really you know a, a security uh, issue from a, a militaristic. There was some concern about the Cold War. Was it the Rus- Ruskies? Was it another country? Something like that. So there was a concern from a military standpoint about the UFO phenomena, and that's where the investigations uh, tended to be. Uh, you know, the Condon report was funded by the United States Air Force, uh, and it f- petered out somewhere in about uh, 1969 into 1970. And after that point, we really don't have any information on what uh, the United States was doing in terms of uh, UFOs. Uh, until relatively recently, you know, like f- five years ago or so, where we found out that there is a, uh, you know, this project that was from about ni- uh, 2007, lasted for a few years, uh, investigating uh, UFOs. Uh, but that big gap, we have no idea what was going on in the United States. But in Canada, um, the attitude was not that it was a a, a military problem, uh, but it was a scientific problem. All along. And so in uh, the mid-1960s, the National Research Council of Canada, which is sort of the uh, the equivalent of the Smithsonian Institution in the United States, this, this scientific body, um, was uh, tasked with uh, investigating and receiving UFO reports from the Canadian public and, and all, all other officials. And so that continued until about 1995. Uh, and we have a complete record of all the cases that were received and investigated during that period. So during the period when we had no idea what was going on in the United States, Canada was receiving and recording uh, all these UFO reports. And a lot of those were very intently in, uh, investigated. Uh, we have the documentation. There's literally uh, thousands upon thousands of, uh, of documents that attest to this. And then in about 1995, um, th- this uh, move uh, this moved away from the National Research Council of Canada because it was getting more into um, things like the Canada arm and uh, 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 you know the Canadian Space Agency and things like that working closely with the United States and other countries on uh, on uh, shuttle related things, the space station and so forth. So they're getting away from the UFO thing. It was handed off to Transport Canada, which is the Canadian equivalent of the FAA. 
Um, and Transport Canada uh, actually directed pilots, uh, both uh, civilian and military, to uh, report all UFOs. And they actually used the term, still today, UFO, not UAP, but UFO, unidentified flying objects. And so pilots were encouraged to report, so there were all these pilot reports. So from that uh, to present, uh, we have a record of Transport Canada's uh, lists of UFOs, and there's something like, you know, 500 of those over a 20-year period till about uh, 20 or 2020 or 2021, something like that. Um, and uh, after that, you know, we're, we're getting into some, some, you know, threading the needle kind of thing where there's some shifting going on, and now the Canadian uh, Air Force or the, the Canadian Forces is, and National Defense is looking at things a little bit differently. However, what, the, what we have then is a record of the UFOs uh, that were reported and earlier than that, flying saucers from the 40s to the 60s, and then from the 60s into the 90s to the 2000s and the two 2010s and so forth. We have those records, uh, which is uh, not the same from the United States at all. In fact, uh, you know, we, it, we seem to have a uh, better idea of what's going on in Canada than in the United States. And in addition to the Canadian reports uh, being from Canadian pilots, there are American reports in there as well. So, I mean, we had reports of a, uh, of a, a refueling exercise by the United States Air Force going on uh, in northern Canada, and a UFO uh, was seen during this refueling exercise. It wasn't reported uh, through United States Air Force, it was reported through the Canadian Forces and National Defense. We have a record of what American military officers were seeing uh, while in the air, but it showed up in Canadian records. So there, it's an interesting, um, uh, you know, there, in some ways it's parallel to what was going on in the United States, but in some ways it was uh, looking at things from a scientific point of view, which is interesting because now we have... Uh, this scientific uh, investigation of uh, of UFOs from a number of fronts, from the SCU, from the Galileo Project, from uh, you know what might be going on at other levels, from other organizations, um, and this encouragement for military pilots now in the United States, uh, as we found out from the UAP Task Force and now from the more recent uh, uh, um, All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office. Uh, to report things and are getting, uh, you know, told, hey, by you know, let us know what's going on so we can get a better handle on what's going on and try and get some scientific understanding. Oh, very true, very true. We got about six minutes to go here before we got to go to break at the bottom of the hour. Chris Rutkowski is our guest tonight on Spaced Out Radio. Chris, you know, in Canada, we seem to have this scientific value of what is a UFO. Uh, we've seen it with Larry McGuire, the member of parliament from Brandon Sewers, really stir up the conservative caucus uh, and the official opposition regarding that. They've also garnered some support from from uh, members of other political parties as well, except from the residing uh, current Liberal Party of Justin Trudeau's. And we're going to get into this a little bit more as we go on, but why has Canada taken a stance in regards to this as there is no threat narrative? The Department of National Defense has told members there is no threat narrative of UFOs in Canadian airspace, yet... We've taken a scientific approach, very, very different from what our allies to the south are doing. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and again, I go back um, and I cite the Cold War. Um, you know, the, for so many years, uh, the approach was, you know, what's going on in the skies? Maybe it's some uh, uh, incursion from uh, uh, an enemy of some sort. Uh, there's concern about that. Uh, and Canada, because uh, Canada was is partnered with NORAD, um, with the United States, um, there was this shared uh, understanding of, uh, of the military necessity. But because the National Research Council was a scientific body and they were the, the ones that were looking into the UFOs, there was a, a, a real effort to look into the, the scientific side of things. Um, and so when the United States... Um, had its policy and its standard policy for all the years is that, you know, there's um, no uh, military threat, there's no danger and, and all this sort of stuff. Um, you know, Canada, we you know, would adopt that that view. And so the the prevailing view from the military side is that there's nothing here, there's, a, uh, there's no perceived threat. But you guys go ahead and investigate it scientifically. Maybe we can get some scientific value out of it. Um, and yet, at the same time, um, uh, I, I would say that there, while there's no threat, there is possible danger in the sense that if pilots are seeing UFOs and UAP in Canadian skies and, uh, the, you know, the, the, that they shouldn't be there because, uh, you know, if, if they're mistaking a, a satellite or a plane or a balloon or a drone or something for a UFO, you know, that that might say that maybe we need more training. If there's a UFO seen on radar in front of a, a commercial aircraft uh, and the aircraft has to take uh, evasive maneuvers, that suggests there's some safety issues and there's a concern to passengers on those flights. The average citizen is in some danger. If there's a, a technical, uh, and uh, you know, something wrong with the instruments themselves, uh, making the UFO seem to be there when there's nothing there, well, that means maybe we have to get better equipment and we have to retest and take another look at uh, what the equipment on board all these planes are are detecting. So from another from all these different uh, aspects, I would say we need to investigate the UAPs and UFOs even more because what's going on? If it's a, a pilot error, is it a, a, an instrument failure? Is there some natural phenomenon? Is, is your 2023 starting without a bang? Has yawning become your dominant characteristic? You are not alone. This year, millions will be diagnosed with low energy or low E. But Planet Fitness has the cure. With clean, spacious clubs and tons of equipment, you can boost your energy after one workout. Leave low E behind and find your big fitness energy at Planet Fitness. Join in the free PF app for $1 down, $10 a month. Offer extended through January 19th. See Home Club for details. Is there an incursion from somebody or something? Are, are people flying drones too close to planes? There was a case just uh, uh, in 2022 when a, um, a flight uh, that was reported to, uh, to the Transport Canada, a pilot said that there was an object outside his window 10 feet away from the cockpit that he couldn't identify. Recorded in Transport Canada as, as a UFO. That's on record. And, you know, if that's really happening, there's some concern there. Oh, and there should be concern regarding what's going on. Look, we know UFOs can be very curious. We know that. I mean, some of the close encounters that not only pilots have had, but, but other people have had, you know, it really goes to show that these do show a curiosity of humanity. The idea mm -hmm. that though 
there's such different perspective with about 90 seconds to go. Does one have it right over the other? Because we know that oh, threat boy. narratives, <laughs> we know that threat narratives in the United States mean zero. Okay, mm-hmm. mean zero. Uh, uh, pardon me, a lot of zeros on a budget. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Is there anyone doing it right? Well, I mean, my background is in science. I have to go with the science. I mean, science is uh, is how we're going to better understand what's going on. Whether whether it's a incursion from a uh, you know, another country or from outer space. So we need the science. We do need the science, and we do need the technology. Does this mean that Canada will be on its way one way or another over, say, the next two to five years, probably depending on what happens with the next federal election, that we will be getting our own UFO task force? Um, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, there has been a number of recommendations that uh, not just from Larry McGuire, uh, but from uh, from other uh, individuals as well and, and groups saying that, you know, we should have uh, some input. We should have our own investigation into what's happening on Canadian soil and in Canadian airspace. So I suspect we will. What would be the benefit of that? Well, I mean, it's there's, some, there's sovereignty issues. I mean, uh, there are incursions into... Canadian airspace uh, that are occurring all the time, just like American airspace. Uh, we want to know what's going on. If there's a safety issue, uh, a flight safety issue, we need to know. Uh, I, I think that uh, for the safety of uh, passengers and citizens, uh, we have to better understand what's going on. And, you know, Canada's military, you know, we have, uh, 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 we stand between the United States and Russia. Uh, so I would say there's a military necessity for Canada to be more involved. Interestingly enough, I heard they're, they're starting to talk about another do line. And on that note, we will return with author, researcher, one of the best Canada has to offer, Chris Rakowski, on the subject of UFOs. When we return, we will continue with Canada's role in ufology and Falcon Lake next on Spaced Out Radio. Very solid first half hour. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, boy, you got a good following there. Yeah, it's going up. It's going up. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, I keep having to say hello to everybody in the chat room. I try not mm-hmm. to uh, leave people out. But, uh, yeah, it's um, it's amazing to know how much or how much uh, – people actually know in Ottawa and have just not talked about it. And, mm-hmm. and they, you know, I mean, when I, I laughed at our media, when, you know, CTV did the story with Chris Mellon for 14 minutes and never once asked him about Canada yet. That is their job. <laughs> that is their job as uh, reporters in Washington to get How does it, how does it affect Canada? That's why they're there. And then CBC sends a reporter down to to Wyoming to interview Lou Elizondo, and same thing. Not one question made it to the uh, tape about about Canada, and uh, that right. just it drove me nuts because that's mm. their job. That's what they're paid for. Yeah. Well, and and when Larry McGuire uh, was uh, before he went public. He uh, he reached out to uh, Elizondo and to uh, 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 Putoff and a few others 
before contacting me. Um, you know, and you, you know, can, I'm the one who had had all the Canadian data. <laughs> you, you can blame me for that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You really? Yes, yeah, seriously. I uh, it wasn't supposed to come out until Elizondo brought it out on this show last year. I promised I'd keep it quiet. You know, journalistic integrity kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, I I was asked to provide see if I could line up a contact between Elizondo and McGuire and the conservative party. And so mm-hmm. I made the phone call and I lined up the meeting. So uh, you, you could blame me for that. Okay. I will. I will. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least you were dropped like a hot potato, like half of us were though. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did end up talking with Larry and I had actually been, uh, uh, I actually was, I briefed uh, a Canadian senator uh, yes. as well, uh, and uh, uh, a number. Uh, you know, over the years, uh, a couple of politicians had uh, had reached out to me on things, and um, and uh, you know, and I guess as, as Dan Otis found, uh, you know, my name has been brought up and and uh, in briefings to the National Defense. So uh, uh, it's uh, uh, you know, there's they, they they're aware of the the Canadian uh, research that's going on, which is a good thing, and you know, hopefully they'll uh, you know that's that's what's going to drive some of the Canadian involvement. I, I think so, and you know, I I was in for a while before last year when my uh, when my fighter pilot or went. Let me gain my thoughts here. I was in a CF-18 fighter pilot group on Facebook before uh, Facebook decided to remove my previous profile for some stupid reason. And Mm -hmm. I was starting to ask pilots about uh, current and, uh, and former, and they would not talk about it. They would not talk about it whatsoever. I had one pilot talk to me and said, look, I'm not going to say anything because of my uh, my uh, uh, retirement package, didn't want to lose it. Uh, and another current pilot, fire, fighter pilot, he was at Cold Lake, but he was so new, like he'd only been flying 18s for about two years, and, mm-hmm. he, and he hadn't been put on any mis- missions on that yet. So, trying. Are you concerned, though, as we've got about a minute to go here, are you concerned, though, that everything just comes down to the pilot now? Yeah. Um, I mean, in this, the report, the AARO report that came out, um, you know, we have, uh, you know, these 500 odd cases over, over a number of years, but they're really only looking at, uh, um, military, uh, personnel and not just pilots, of course, you know, some, uh, some others, but a lot of them are pilots. Um, and they're really only looking at them though. And the question is, what are, what are civilians, uh, uh going to do? In right. fact, where do, where does a civilian in the United States report UFOs now, other than to, you know, MUFON and Peter Davenport and right. places like that. I'll get you to hold uh, on. Right. Are they gonna... I'll get you to hold on. Sure. Sorry, I shouldn't have asked you that right at this point. Sure. But here we go in three seconds.
Second half hour of Spaced Out Radio is now underway. Good to have you with us. My name is Dave Scott. Love talking UFOs with you on a nightly basis. I want to remind you that if you've missed portions of this show or others, check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the news wire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. Here we go. Chris Rakowski, famed Canadian UFO researcher and author. He has nine books. You can find them on Amazon. Chris, we're talking Canada and UFOs tonight, and this is a big, big subject. Close to my heart, being Canadian and everything like that, (laughs) and close to many. You know, the idea that uh, Canada does not have a UFO watchdog group out there within the government. It means that everybody's just kind of taking their files and storing them in, in filing folders and filing cabinets all over the place in Ottawa and around the country, you know, including the RCMP. You know, what do you think the role is of the RCMP when it comes to, or the, for our American listeners, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, when it comes to reporting UFOs? Well, funny you should say that. And it's 10 books, by the way. Oh, 10 now. Thank you. This is my most recent. And um, in this book, I actually detail a lot of the RCMP uh, uh, witnesses. Um, Royal Canadian Mounted Police uh, officers have and constables have seen a lot of UFOs over the years and reported them, and they're filed uh, with the National Research Council and other agencies. Um, and the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, in fact, investigated the UFOs uh, up until 1995, that recently, uh, for the National Research Council. And only when that agreement uh, finished in 1995 did the National Research Council then, Research Council then you know, transfer it over to Transport Canada. So the RCMP have been involved for many, many years. And at this point, the, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police are, are officially not involved uh, with UAP or UFO uh, uh, investigations, uh, although um, there still is some uh, some involvement. I mean, uh, in fact, I had a um, a report accompanied uh, uh, a video from an RCMP constable um, in Selkirk, Manitoba, a number of years ago. Uh, who uh, he showed it to me, and uh, we took a look at it, and, and uh, I actually po- uh, posted and published some information on it uh, a number of times. Uh, so, I mean, RCMP are still involved, but uh, as far as we can tell, there's no directive uh, telling the RCMP how to investigate, where to investigate. I suspect what's happening um, is uh, what's happening with uh, um, uh, regional police forces, uh, where if a UFO or UAP is reported, um, it's it handled um, at the regional level. So, in other words, the RCMP in, in BC or uh, would keep that file. RCMP in Nova Scotia would investigate the, uh, if necessary, or, or file it in those files rather than be consolidated into one. Um, because you know when the RCMP were involved back in the, uh, I guess eighties, nineteen eighties, I actually went to RCMP headquarters, and I, I had actually uh, requested 
uh, all the RCMP files um, to take a look at them, and they brought them to RCMP headquarters. So I was walked into this this room in RCMP uh, headquarters um, and led into the room where there are these boxes, and I, I could look at them. I couldn't take anything and all this sort of stuff. Um, but, I mean, uh, you know, those files existed at least until the uh, mid-1990s. Uh, I suspect that uh, we're going to be continuing uh, files like that uh, up until the present time, but nothing coordinated. Uh, I suspect that they do, uh, you know, refer things to national defense if it seems to be a defense issue. Uh, we do know from Transport Canada that RCMP are called in for um, issues um, involving aircraft, uh, commercial aircraft, and, and pilots requesting assistance for one reason or another. So there will be files like that around. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how, you know, what what happens moving forward. I got to tell you my RCMP story because I don't think I ever I ever did. Uh, about, oh, goodness, how old's my daughter? 19. So about five years ago, my daughter goes to a Halloween party. And when you live in a small community like I do, uh, a lot of the young teenage parties are crashed by the 19, 20-year-olds, you know, who... <laughs> who like to get the younger kids, say, a little intoxicated. So my daughter apparently took part in one of these parties and had one whole Palm Bay before she was almost uh, passing out uh, drunk. Mm. And, you know, as a as a father, I when my daughter gets home, I, I have a choice. I can either go there with a baseball bat and do some vigilante <laughs> justice, or I call the police. So I ended up calling the RCMP. Right. And the RCMP goes and busts the party. And about I'm working in my studio here, and about 1 o'clock in the morning, the RCMP constable calls me up, and he's like, uh, we're all done. And we're going to find the, the, the owner of the house and all this for underage drinking, blah, blah, blah. Great. So I said to him, so can I ask you a strange question, totally off the record and totally uh, off topic? He goes, sure. I said, what's the RCMP's protocols with UFOs? <laughs> just out of the blue. I just fired it at him. Yeah, yeah. Imagine my shock and awe and how far my jaw dropped when he when he answers me and he goes, in the air or on the ground? <laughs> and I said, what? He goes, in the air or on the ground? I said, well, I wasn't really expecting that answer. And he laughs. He goes, he goes, Dave, you you picked the right guy to ask this question to because previous to this, I spent uh, a number of years in the Canadian Armed Forces as an as a, a radar operator. And mm. so I said, let's start with in the air. He goes, okay, if it's in the air, you you call in a report. And all of a sudden, the RCMP, uh, the dispatcher, will put that on the staff sergeant's desk. The staff sergeant immediately has to send that to Ottawa, HQ in Ottawa, who then sends it to NORAD to try and scr- and NORAD tries to scramble the two closest CF-18 Hornets to try and intercept the craft. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, well, what if it's on the ground? He goes, well, I'm not sure about that. He goes, I think it's pretty much the same, except if a craft is on the ground and there's no military base around, they'll probably get us to cordon off the area until the military can get mm-hmm. there. So I said, okay. I said, so what happens with the paperwork? Because any RCMP uh, 
investigation, you have to provide your name, your address, your phone number, your birth date, and all your contact information, including, you know, what kind of soap you use at your bathroom sink. Mm. And apparently that goes to NORAD too. Mm-hmm. And it was shocking to me that the RCMP was allowing Canadian personal information to go into NORAD regarding UFOs. Shocked me. Hmm. Well, um, I, I guess, uh, you know, in the course of investigations, there will be some boundary uh, issues. There's no question of that. Um you know, if a civilian reports a UFO to the RCMP and it, you know, uh, and it involves uh, an issue that might involve national security, then it would go into NORAD. That it, you know, it. it I'm not surprised by that. I, I'm simply, uh, I suspect that's probably one of the methods that NORAD gets its information. I'm more concerned that NAV Canada, uh, which is a, a non-governmental body, a, a private organization, seems to hold all the cards for UAP and UFO investigations in Canada. And they are not subject to freedom of information or access to information requests. We really don't know what information NAV Canada has, but it works in conjunction with uh, National Defence and Transport Canada and NORAD. And um, you know, a lot of the UFO reports that we get from Transport Canada uh, come through NAV Canada, uh, or you know, they originally they started in NAV Canada. We don't know how far they get, but they will have uh, personal information in there. And as a you know private body. Um, I, there's some concern there. There would be some concern. Yeah, I, I can see that. You know, is it a concern of the liberal government, though? We know Justin Trudeau has been read in at least twice, most recently last year. Uh, the first mm-hmm. time I was able to figure out was in sometime between August and December of 2018, I believe, where former ambassador to Washington, uh, David McNaughton, came back and read him in. Uh, you know, why does he seem so nonchalant regarding this subject? Well, I mean, pragmatically, there's a few other things on the on the plate that are a, a, a little more concerning, I suppose. I mean, as 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 important as UFOs and UAPs are, um, you know, when you're dealing with uh, issues in you know, in Ukraine and and China, and uh, you know, uh, the Three Amigos summit was just held. Um, there's there's other issues uh, that would certainly take precedence. Um, so that's part of it. But the other issue is because Canada is partnered with NORAD, uh, we do have access to that already. And uh, I mean, the United States does have uh, more technology, uh, more personnel, more access. Uh, we do rely on NORAD for the protection of Canada. So it's really that, uh, you know, Canada is uh, is sort of letting letting the United States, uh, you know, handle the, the, the nitty-gritty details here. So I suspect that's part of it. Um, the, and the other issue is that um, uh, that national defense, uh, it, you know, encompasses a, a, a lot in Canada. Uh, you know the the um, uh, the CSA, uh, the uh, the RCMP, uh, and you know other organizations are they're all falling under the same umbrella, um, and 
the uh, the the need for some serious investigations into UFOs can be handled by a number of agencies, but mostly by the United States. So I suspect that there's going to be some some overlap somewhere along the way, and that uh, that uh, the the current prime minister, uh, uh, you know, is is relying on his advisors, on his defense minister, on his scientific advisors, uh, for their best practice for for their uh, wisdom into what what is going on right now, and currently, uh, that's in a state of flux. Up until you know twenty twenty one or so, uh, you know, I would they would have said you know nothing to worry about here. But now that there's some rumblings from the United States, and now that members of the uh, Conservative Party are um, you know making their voices known, uh, Raquel Danko, uh, for example, uh, raised the issue with the uh, head of the RCMP and the CSA. Uh, so you know, there's uh, there's going to be more involvement. So m- I would say, uh, you know, behind closed doors, there's probably some discussions, but publicly, nothing yet. But just wait, uh, I, there's going to be some more coming. Well, I, and I hope to see that happen. Do you think, though, that the attitude towards UFOs would change with a change in the federal government? Like, say, if the Conservative Party did get elected. Um, hard to say. Um, there are, you know, there's moderates in the Conservative Party and there's less moderates. Um, I suspect, I mean, Larry McGuire is a good example that he's, he's really making his presence known more and more. He's posting more. He's raising issues other than the UFO thing. I can see that if the Conservatives, when it got into power, uh, that Larry Maguire, you know, maybe he might be tapped for a, a cabinet job. And if so, uh, then perhaps, you know, he could raise the issue of UFP and UFOs uh, much more significantly. I mean, who knows who's the, who def- the defense minister is going to be uh, uh, at any one point. So uh, I think that, you know, depending on political uh, parties in power and uh, pressures from, uh, um, you know, members on the in the House and in the Senate, uh, there's going to be some discussions that that will be raised. Well, it it would be interesting considering that that Larry McGuire has really stepped up to try and, you know, be a leader in this and and convince Canadians that this is something that is worthy of taxpayers' dollars in in funding. Mm -hmm. I I just don't know how the public would go for it if uh, it was brought out. Well, I, I think the best way to do it, and this is, uh, I mean, uh, Larry's, one of Larry's tactics, he's raised the issue of UFOs over Canadian nuclear sites. Um, and if there's a safety or a security issue, uh, I think uh, that the public would be more amenable to that uh, um, because it involves something, you know, a little more down to earth, you know, pardon the pun, but that, that would be something that would strike close to home. Oh, very true. Very true. We got about eight minutes to go until the top of the hour, and I know a lot of my listeners, Chris, want to know about your involvement with Stefan Mikulik and the Falcon Lake incident. And before I go there, I do want to ask you, a number of years ago, about six, seven years ago, there was allegedly a UFO that crashed north of Winnipeg on a reserve land, and they said they ended up saying that it was some sort of military training exercise but first witnesses claim that they did see something fall out of the sky. Did you ever investigate that case? And what do you think it was? 
Uh, yeah, I investigated it quite thoroughly, as a matter of fact, and I posted about it on my blog. Um, uh, that was, in fact, a hoax. Um, and uh, to this day, though, people are insisting, no, 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 I, I, I know somebody who said he saw it and, and all this sort of stuff. And yet we know fairly certainly that it was, in fact, a military exercise. Operation um, Northern Bison, or, or I can't remember the actual project name, but it's a, it's a, a yearly thing that National Defense uh, does for uh, Arctic survival training and winter training. Um, and um, that particular year was really, really cold um, in, uh, in Manitoba. Uh, it's actually very balmy <laughs> right now. I think it's like minus five or something. But that particular year was like in the minus 40s, minus 45s. Um, and the, the, what they do is that they drop a bunch of troops off on uh, Lake Winnipeg and they uh, have to, you know, travel a certain distance on snowmobiles and, and on foot across the surface of the, the frozen lake. Uh, and that year, the snow, it was so cold, the snowmobiles themselves broke down. And um, the, uh, uh, they actually had to fly in um, some support. And so there were, you know, planes dropping down, some very uh, short takeoff uh, aircraft coming in and, uh, you know, rescuing some of this. And, and there were military uh, transport vehicles driving along the shore of the lake, uh, to to you know to help and, and support the uh, the personnel that were on the surface of the lake, we know this um, because I, I investigated. I heard about it. I actually showed up on Twitter. I started getting tweets about it, um, and uh, I started following it up. And um, it, it was all centered around this one particular uh, northern uh, First Nation called Jackhead. And so I contacted the, the Jackhead um, uh, Band Council, and I spoke with uh, the, the, the chief and the, the, uh, the, uh, some of the other individuals there. And they thought it was, it was preposterous. They thought it was ridiculous that uh, people were making up these sorts of stories and the, the, the fact that you know, people were claiming that the military were threatening people on First Nations reserves and telling them not to say anything. and. Uh, and, and they just said it's, it's completely ridiculous. Um, and, you know, we never did uh, get, you know, some of the details from some of the eyewitnesses. And there was a photograph that was actually published uh, online showing a triangular UFO on the surface of the lake. Um, and what we did is we found the original photograph um, of the surface of the lake where this thing had been photoshopped in. So, we know for a fact, and I ended up speaking with uh, the uh, the uh, National Defense uh, personnel involved, and they actually have a have a Facebook page uh, that clearly showed everything leading up to the day, and then everything uh, after it. Uh, absolutely no question, it was a hoax, uh, but it does show that um, you know that people are are fascinated with the subject, and that there are people who are willing to. Uh, prey on people's, um, you know, foibles and, and uh, uh, you know, willingness to believe. Uh, and that effect, you know, plays into, uh, you know, ufology in a, a lot of ways that, you know, it, it causes the problem that, you know, when there's a really good case that we do have documentation on, um, you know, it's worth following up. But there are people that are sort of muddying the waters uh, trying to make uh, the job of investigation and, and research uh, more difficult. And it's it's unfortunate 
but uh, this is the state of ufology. It really is. Hey, we want that to happen. We want to make it make it work, my man. And, you know, everybody wants that next big incident like Stefan Mikulik. How did you get to mm-hmm. know the Mikulik family? Oh, well, um, well, I actually uh, ended up knowing the family as a as a kid. I, uh, in fact, uh, uh, Stefan Mihalik's son, um, uh, Stan Mihalik, was one of my buddies uh, growing up. Uh, I think we were about uh, nine or ten. We used to ride bikes all the time and uh, went over to his place one time and he said, hey, you know, something happened to my dad. We can't uh, ride our bikes today. Uh, but interesting, I just want to tie in the the RCMP, I ended up finding the Royal Canadian Mounted Police officer who investigated the the Falcon Lake case, Stefan Michalik, in 1967. He was still alive uh, the year before the the pandemic. I interviewed him in in, uh, in early 2020. And, uh, you know, this is a guy who really knew the case well. He spent lots of time uh, in the bush, he uh, interviewed Mihalik many times, and I said, "Do you think, you know, it, it was real? Do you think? Do you have any explanation for what happened?" And he looked at me and he says, "You know, I have no idea what happened. I cannot explain it." That came from the mouths of the uh, RCMP officer who investigated the case in 1967. Wow, wow! To me, I don't care what anybody says. I think. The Stefan Mikulik case is the best one out there because it has everything. It has an mm-hmm. anecdotal story. It has the the corroborating evidence. You know, does he still get the marks on his bodies from the radiation? Is he still radiating from this craft? <laughs> uh, no, he passed away <laughs> oh, he? Uh, a number okay. of years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, um and um uh the uh the marks on his body it's it's interesting that there's a revival of interest in this particular case and in fact the most recent issue of the 14 times um has a full page feature on the falcon lake case um and part of that is because uh, two notable uh skeptics and debunkers took upon themselves to uh, dissect the case just this past year um, after all these years have happened, you know, more than 50 years, um, and they have their own explanations for it, uh, sort of armchair uh, explanations um, that uh, uh, that I responded to in the 14 Times uh, story. Uh, so go out and buy, your, buy the latest 14 Times. <laughs> it's a case, though, that I still think is the greatest one out there. I mean, you can put it up against well, yeah, Travis Walton has- or, or whoever. Yeah, it has all the it has everything you want. It has, uh, you know, uh, RCMP investigation, police investigation, military investigation, uh, a witness who was cooperating, uh, a, a site that was found. There was radiation, uh, you know, uh, pieces of uh, metal uh, that were retrieved. Uh, you know, uh, medical records. I mean, how many cases have medical records that uh, that we have access to? So it has literally everything that you would want in a UFO case. And yet, it's still one of the the uh, the least understood and and least known of uh, of all the UFO cases. All because it's in Canada. All because That's it's right. in Canada. Chris, I'm going to get you to hold on right there. We're going to continue on with Falcon Lake, and we'll get some audience questions 
when we return UFOs over Canada. That's what we're talking about tonight on Spaced Out Radio. Stay tuned. Chris Rakowski, author extraordinaire, and his 10 books. We'll be back right after this on the Mighty SOR. All right, we are clear, and uh, I'm just okay, going to take a two-minute break. I'm going to put you back in the green room, okay? Yeah, it's tinkle time. I'm going to. Okay. All right, be right back. Be right back, everybody.
right, I am back. I'll bring Chris in here. Hi, Chris. Hello there. This is a lot of fun, man. Thank you so much for doing this tonight. No problems. Hope you're enjoying yourself, too. Mm -hmm. I'm just seeing if anybody else has jumped in the chat room that I haven't said hello to yet. Let's see here. I think I'm pretty caught up. Pretty caught up. If you have any questions for Chris, put them in capital letters and type them into the chat room, and I will get uh, everything uh, up for uh, Chris here, coming on up here when we get into the next hour. Hi, Barry Brown. How you doing? By the way, just so you all know, El Avni Volador got called out by a professional wrestler named the Navajo Warrior. And I'm going to play that for you guys in hour number three. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's good for El Avni. I really do. It's, uh, yeah. We got this guy who comes into studio every now and again. There's his T-shirt right here, right right behind mm-hmm. me. And uh, he's Chris. He's a jerk. He's a, he's a real jerk. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. And uh, anyways, he got called out. He got called out for our Vegas party. Steel, oh boy, steel cage match. Not only a steel cage match, but a leather strap steel cage match. <sighs> <laughs> the weird things that happen around here sometimes. Oh yeah, no yeah. kidding. Yeah, the weird, weird stuff that happens around here. But uh, anyways, thank you to Louis uh, times two, Thomas Lavira, Mennonite Abe, Deb, Pam, W Decker, and Tech Seven Hundred Two for your super chats. Very much appreciate the love. Don't forget about Vegas. Check the ticker down below. We want to see you there in a few short months. Here we go with the hour two. You're listening to Spaced Out Radio with Dave Scott. Follow Dave on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio and on Facebook Spaced Out Radio Show. Hour number two of Spaced Out Radio is now underway. Thank you so much for joining us wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club tractor. Tractor is your password. Use it wisely, space travelers, as the clam sets the password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the news wire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. Here we go, hour number two, with famed Canadian UFO researcher and author Chris Rutkowski. He has 10 books out on the UFO subject, can be found on Amazon. 
well worth the read. Very knowledgeable, very thorough, and we're glad to have him on this show tonight. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Glad to be here. Right before the break, we started talking about the Falcon Lake incident in 1967. Probably, you know, Canada, in my opinion, has two great, great UFO encounters that just seem to to blow the minds out of everybody 50-plus years later. We're, geez, we're going on 55, almost 60 years now in regards to what happened, Falcon Lake being one, Shag Harbor being the other, and they were only months apart. But let's focus on Falcon Lake here for a second here. For a little history lesson for our listeners who may not know what happened, give us a little detail of what happened back in 1967. Sure. Um uh, in 1967, on the May long weekend here in Canada, a fellow by the name of Stefan Mihalik um, wanted to do some rock hounding. He was kind of into rocks. Um, and uh, there's a, a part of uh, Manitoba called the Canadian Shield, uh, which has, uh, you know, it's actually it has some rich thick quartz veins and people have staked claims of silver. There's actually a gold mine or two in the area. Um, and so he was going to do his amateur prospecting. So uh, he went out, he uh, uh, took a bus out uh, to the area uh, on a Friday night. Saturday morning, got up uh, really early, went into the bush and uh, started looking at some rocks and enjoying nature. He was a bit of a, a nature lover too, actually was uh, had done some paintings and, and things like that. But around lunchtime, after wandering around... Um, he was having lunch on uh, sort of a, a, a cliff overlooking a, a beaver pond. And uh, it's a very rocky area, lots of fir trees, but very rocky. Uh, uh, you know, granite intrusions and so forth, lots of shale. And around lunchtime, he's eating his lunch, and all of a sudden, the geese on this this beaver pond all flap up they're all scared of something he's thinking oh no it must be a bear because there, there's a lot of bears in the area looks around can't see any bears but in the sky overhead there's these very bright objects two of them uh one uh uh descends um uh you know fairly rapidly the other one's sort of descending a little bit more but stays in the sky but the one that descends uh, eventually lands on a flat rock outcropping about 150 uh, yards away from him. He uh, sort of crouches down behind a rock in some bushes, and he sees it. It's uh, uh, you know sort of a, a classic Hollywood-style flying saucer. It's got. Uh, uh, oh, actually, I can show you. Where's my my flying saucer? I had a model here somewhere. Oh, here it is. So somebody made a uh, did a 3D print of this thing. So this is what it looked like, and it had a had a dome on top. Uh, here, uh, there's some bright lights coming out of it, um, and it was about 35 feet across, about 12 feet high, um, and a little there was a, a a grid pattern on one side of it, um, and eventually a little door opened in the side of it, uh, and lights were shining out of that thing. Now. He thought, what the heck is this? He had never seen anything like this before. He himself had some military background, was familiar with uh, aircraft. And he thought, well, you know, must be some sort of American, you know, secret project for landing on the moon. Because this was just as 
uh, the Apollo program was underway. As a matter of fact, this is just after the the tragedy of Apollo uh, One, which wasn't called Apollo One, but right at the beginning there when the astronauts died. Um, and uh, so there was a little bit of that in the news. So we figured maybe this is the thing that they're building for landing on the moon. And uh, it, they were testing it and got off course, and it, they had to make some repairs set down in, in uh, Canada. And he started hearing some uh, voices coming from inside this, this, this craft. Uh, it was metallic, um, you know, burnished metal. He couldn't see any seams. But he heard these voices, and he's thinking, aha, it must be the Americans for sure, because uh, I can hear these voices. So he gets, uh, gets uh, up from his crouch, starts walking towards it. And as he's walking, he shouts out, okay, Yankee boys, uh, you know, come on out. I'll give you a hand fixing your broken down flying machine. And the voices stopped. So he thinks, oh, no, not Americans. They must be the Russians. Um, but by this time, he's just standing, you know, right in front of it and right in front of this little doorway. So he pokes his head inside and he sees a sort of an ENIAC array of, of flashing lights and whatever. And he had actually braced him, his hand on the side of this when he was looking in and his hand started to get hot. Now he'd been wearing um, rubberized gloves to protect his hands from the, uh, the rock chips uh, that he was chipping at and the glove had started to melt. Oh um, and so he took it off and as he, uh, you know, is standing there, this whole thing rotated so that there was this exhaust vent. It's not, uh, there's nothing on it. It wasn't recreated in the 3D model here. But there was an exhaust vent uh, that was right in front of him. And out of it came a blast of hot gas, hit him in the chest, set fire to his clothing, and the thing took off and it set fire to the pine needles and, and leaves uh, on the ground as well. Uh, he had to rip off his shirt, uh, took off his undershirt, which is also, had also started to burn, was feeling kind of sick from this gas that, that he had inhaled. Um, he eventually uh, stumbled out of the, the woods. This was in a forested area. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he eventually sought medical help. He had to go back to the city to get help where he was in, uh, looked at by emergency room technicians um, and uh, eventually went home, and the story came out. He, he thought that maybe there was some danger to the public, so he, he notified uh, the press. He said, you know, there's something happening out, you know, in the forest, um, and that might suspect there might be some danger. And so the media started interviewing him. It went on TV and in all the papers, and it sort of mushroomed from there. He was visited by... Uh, RCMP officers. He was in, in, uh, visited by uh, military personnel from the Department of National Defense, the Royal Canadian Air Force, and um, um, wrote a book with his son. The title is When They Appeared, not having to do anything with the uh, any aliens, but when all the investigators, all the military personnel appeared literally on their doorstep, interrogated them. They interrogated uh, the family, they went to his place of work. Um, they went to the hotel uh, at, at Falcon Lake where he had spent the night. Uh, they talked to the bar operator, the, the housekeeping staff. It was an intense investigation. In fact, we've recovered something like, you know, five to 700 pages of documentation about this particular case from the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, 
for, from the Royal Canadian Air Force. And the United States Air Force as well um, came up to Canada to investigate. As a matter of fact, this is part of the Condon Report, uh, case number 22, if you want to look up the Condon Report. Um, and uh, it was, uh, you know, a very, very um, labor-intensive pr- uh, uh, investigation of uh, the uh, RCMP and Royal uh, Canadian Air Force personnel were flown out there by helicopter. Um, they uh, eventually took uh, Mr. Mahalik out there to try and find the spy- spot uh, themselves. When it was found, there was a uh, this, uh, this ring of debris in a circle and some radioactive um, material was found at the site as well. So you have uh, all of that, plus the fact that uh, Mr. Mahalik, uh, the witness, was burned. Uh, he had uh, first and second degree burns on his upper chest. And then on his lower abdomen, he had what was called the checkerboard pattern of burns that he said matched the the exhaust vents on this this uh, uh, this craft. Uh, and they persisted for, for some time. You mentioned that they were radiation burns. They actually weren't radiation oh, burns. No. They were chemical burns. Chemical, chemical burns. Wow. Um, um, but there was radiation found at the site. In fact, um, the, uh, the Royal Canadian Air Force actually took him to a nuclear facility for a full body count uh, to check him out for radiation, uh, which turned out negative. Uh, oddly enough, it was the same nuclear facility where um, the debris from the uh, crash of co- the Russian satellite Cosmos 954, which crashed in Canada, um, uh, the, that debris was taken uh, for analysis as well. So it was a, a very major institution. So this was a, a UFO investigation and case that involved um, the Air Force, um, uh, National Defense, uh, Royal Canadian Mounted Police, a nuclear facility, the United States Air Force, uh, and scientific institutions. And it just, it's an amazing, amazing case. And we have the documentation. Um, and, you know, what do we have regarding Roswell? We have a denial that it actually occurred. There's no, no, you know, documentation or investigations uh, that detail exactly what was happening. Uh uh, so in some cases, the, the Falcon Lake case is sort of, it's been called Canada's Roswell. It's better than Roswell in many ways. Oh, very much so. Very, very much so. Are you surprised we haven't had a report like that in over 50 years? I mean, we could look at Travis Walton. We could look at, you know, Betty and Barney Hill, which happened before, you know, mm-hmm. the Cash Landrum case, Calvin Parker, Whatever it may be. I mean, mm-hmm. are you surprised that something this good hasn't come out yet? Yeah, it is interesting that we haven't had as as notable a, a case ever since. I mean, people can point at Virginia or, um, uh, you know, some of the other cases around the world, but nothing with this intense investigation and the, the available documentation. I mean, you know, hundreds and hundreds of pages of documentation. So... Um, it's, uh, it's interesting. We haven't had that, um, you know, mind you, this occurred, uh, again, during the cold war and, you know, things changed and maybe it's the, the, you know, more of a flow of information, uh, that has reduced that. Um, maybe, I don't know, aliens got, got bored with us. <laughs> I don't know, but, uh, uh, it's interesting. We haven't had, uh, such a, a really remarkable investigation like this ever since. 
could it be that because of the sensitivity of this subject that it has maybe gone more underground? It's possible, although the the actual cases themselves would be would be known. I mean, we have had some you know remarkable cases. You know, uh, the uh, uh, the military case in in Tehran uh, in Iran by the jet pilots uh, uh, going back into the seventies. You know, those those cases uh, are, are on record. Uh, so we do have a, a number of cases. You know, but the depth to which investigations have occurred. Uh, you know, we would certainly have found out a little bit more about it. Um, you know, it's possible that there's a, a body investigating at a level that we simply have no idea. It, it, I mean, who knows? But at this point, we don't have any information that, that there are cases like this that have really attracted the attention of an international effort. All right. Do you mind taking some audience questions? Sure. No problem. All right. This one comes from, let me check here, Anthony in uh, British Columbia here. And he is asking, does Canada have its own version of an Area 51? Well, I would say not really. I mean, there we do have um, um, Cold Lake in Alberta. And we do know that uh, even the United States Air Force was testing cruise missiles uh, at Cold Lake before they were publicly announced. We found that from documentation. So, um, you know, we do have kind of that, but, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, crash saucers uh, and, and things like that, I don't think Canada does have uh, that to any degree. I suspect that if anything, you know, was to occur, you know, it would be handed over to the Americans anyways. We do have a, uh, an analogy. I, I mentioned Cosmos 954, uh, which was a crash of a nuclear satellite uh, in North America. Uh, which involved an investigation and uh, retrieval effort uh, by, uh, it was on Canadian soil, but the Americans took it over. Um, and so American personnel, uh, the American Air Force, uh, was uh, working in Canada to retrieve all the individual pieces of the radioactive debris. And we have uh, all the documentation of that. In fact, there's a, an outstanding report that detailed that particular case when it occurred. So, you know, we do know that those types of things uh, uh, do occur, and they were taken, the pieces originally were taken to the White Shell Nuclear Research Facility and then transferred to the United States. So I suspect that anything along those lines would be handled by the U.S. And if there was a crash site or a retrieval or something like that, you believe it would be handed off to the U.S. as well? I think so. I, I suspect so, sure. All right, let's move on. Let's go to Pam. What is your opinion on Travis Walton? and experiencers such as him? Well, you know, I, uh, I, I've uh, met uh, Travis a number of times. I had dinner with him and uh, Stan Friedman at some uh, UFO conferences. Um, fascinating story. Um, I, I know the uh, uh, the skeptical and debunker view that's uh, come out over the past uh, few years, as a matter of fact, um, and uh, where Mike, uh, I can't remember his last name now, uh, says it was all made up. Uh, Travis seems very sincere. Um, uh, I, I, uh, I think it would be uh, it, it would be difficult to to maintain that for for quite some time. Uh, if it was a hoax, it certainly is a a very detailed one and had the cooperation of a number of people. Um, 
uh, I, I think the jury is out on it. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, curious as to what's going on. I haven't had a chance to talk with Travis uh, since some of the allegations have come out recently, but it's a definitely a fascinating case. Very true. Very true. All right, let's move on here. Let's go to Vaughn in Edmonton. What do you know about Canadian Forces Base Cold Lake and whether or not, I mean, you just kind of talked about this, whether or not it is rumored to be Canada's Area 51. As you stated, it did take uh, take in uh, cruise missiles in the northern part mm-hmm. of that facility. But we also know back in the 50s, they were testing some sort of flying disks that they were trying to uh, create. Well, the the flying disc was the Avro uh, the Avro car, I suppose. That was uh, it wasn't actually tested at Cold Lake. That was actually tested at a facility in in Ontario. Um, there was a um, and I'm trying to remember now. I think Paul Hellyer alluded to this that back in uh, in the '60s um, at Cold Lake, they had set up a a flying saucer uh, detection station or a landing pad or something like that. Uh, he talked about that in one of his interviews, um, and as far as we know, it was never never used. Curiously, Cold Lake is not that far away from Saint Paul, Alberta, um, and Saint Paul, Alberta, for people who uh, who don't know, is uh, one of hubs uh, is one of the world's only flying saucer and UFO um, landing pads. Uh, in fact, it's uh, Canada's version of, I suppose, Roswell in terms of um, the commercial side of it. Um, there's a, a UFO museum. In fact, it houses the Center for UFO Studies uh, traveling UFO exhibit. Um, there had had been uh, annual UFO fests where, you know, uh, costume contests and uh, parades and all that sort of stuff and a, and uh uh, expert would come to give talks, and uh, and I spoke there a couple of times. Um, so it's not that far away. It's interesting that it's in the same province too. Um, and you, to this day, you can go visit the uh, the UFO landing pad and the museum, which is in Saint Paul, Alberta, not far from Cold Lake. Very true. Very true. All right, let's move on here. Let's go to Gloria. She is asking, "What is your favorite story or encounter?" Oh wow! Favorite favorite UFO story. Um, well, I mean, you know, I've been out to Shag Harbor. I've uh, spoken uh, uh, to some of the original witnesses there, and spoken at the conferences. Falcon Lake. I mean, it has to be one of my favorites because I was involved uh, with the family and knew them very well, and and uh, I investigated that uh, after the fact. Opened it as a cold case. There's some other interesting cases too. Um, I think I, I saw in the chat somebody asked about Langenberg, uh, 1974, I think, um, in Saskatchewan, where a fellow had seen um, uh, five um, spinning uh, upside-down silver bowls in a field, and these things took off one by one, leaving behind these swirled patches um, in the field. And so they predated crop circles by a number of years. Canada actually had uh, had crop circles back in the 1960s and uh, a case in Duhamel, Alberta, which was investigated by personnel from Cold Lake. Uh, uh, they actually thought it was a UFO landing ring uh, investigated as such. The National Defense put out a, a report on it. 
um, back in 1967, the same year as uh, the Falcon Lake case and, and Shag Harbor. Um, so Canada, again, you know, had was a, a ahead of the curve. Uh, but in terms of, of Langenberg, this was investigated by RCMP. I don't think it was investigated by military personnel, but um, uh, I do know that people like uh, Alan Hynek uh, and uh, a few others came out to investigate the site personally. Um, it, uh, you know, the rings were never fully adequately explained. The RCMP had no explanation for them. Uh, very, very strange case. And, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, again, one of the ones that, uh, that people don't know about all that much. Well, I think we got to keep telling them. We just have to keep telling them. All right. I think we got time to sneak in one more here. We got about a minute to go. And this one from Mennonite Abe down in the U.S. How did it come to pass, Chris, that you became the receiver of military UFO reports? Are you, are, are you still getting the reports now? I know you explained that in hour one. Yeah, I, I uh, you know, how I came to get them. Um, interestingly enough, that in 2021, when it came out that I had been receiving UFO reports, <laughs> military UFO reports, I effectively stopped getting military UFO reports. Um, although after that point, uh, as Dan Otis and, uh, and others had found, um, I was still uh, being recognized as, as receiving them, although I, I say I haven't actually received any military reports over the past year or two. Um, and why that is so, uh, I'm not sure. Um, uh, you know, it could be that uh, somebody in, up in the military intelligence at one point said, why are we sending reports to a civilian UFO investigator? Very true. <laughs> My friend, I'm going to get you to hold on right there. We're going to continue with audience questions when we return on Spaced Out Radio. It's all about UFOs tonight with Chris Rakowski, famed Canadian UFO researcher and author. Grab his 10 books on Amazon. We'll be right back on Spaced Out Radio right after this. Loads of fun. Loads Mm -hmm. of fun. So about how many are are on right now? Uh, Live on YouTube, we're at about... 269 uh plus there's uh others watching on on twitch on facebook on linkedin i haven't got the count for that yet and Hmm. then our terrestrial affiliates will hear this show tomorrow night and that's in seven markets six in the u.s one in in mississauga ontario and then our podcast format will run that through as well people listening live right now on all our on our three affiliates there plus whatever comes down we usually average around you know with especially with our radio listeners that's a that's a giant chunk of what we do it's about mm-hmm. 177,000 a night Mm. Oh, cool. Pretty good. Yeah. So how's Twitch? I, I, I've i actually uh, done a couple of interviews on Twitch, uh, not a platform I, I'm all that familiar with. Uh, is there a good response there? I don't understand how Twitch works at all. I, <laughs> I am so the wrong guy to ask about Twitch. It's more of a gamer's site. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. I just haven't figured out how it really benefits what we do uh i wish i had a better answer for you on that (laughs) just curious 
Yeah. Put this guy back. I find Twitch to be very, very, how can I put it, difficult. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not a fan of it. But. <laughs> <clears throat> So what do you do spending most of your days now? Um, uh, I, uh, this week I've been entering uh, data into the uh, 2022 Canadian UFO Survey database, working on that, hope to get that out over the next uh, week to a month or so. Uh, I'm still donating um, my uh, material to the uh, uh, University of Manitoba archives. I actually have to go in and uh, take a look uh, at some specific uh, boxes. They were trying to figure out what some things were. <laughs> um, so that, and um, I've got some writing projects uh, that I'm working on, non-UFO related, because I'm still a science writer. Oh, and I guess uh, some people have, have noticed that I uh, was uh, just uh, invited to become uh, part of the Galileo Project. Oh, nice. Uh, so, so that, um, you know, I've, I've got some duties with them. Uh, the Canadian, uh, uh, um, I can't remember the acronym now, but the, the scholarly, uh, the scientific uh, body of Canadian ufologists, um, they want me to, to be president or something like that. I'm, I, I'm probably going to turn them down. <laughs> uh, but things like that, and uh, I'm always getting some uh, some requests for uh, to, to do more things. And you're supposed to be retired. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm told. Yeah. <laughs> Just never stops, does it? Never no. stops. No. Oh, that is awesome. Good for you. Good for you. Yeah, Avi Loeb has been quite silent lately with his Galileo project. Eerily silent. Um, um, well, you know, um, he's continually putting out, uh, like, I think he his, he has a blog that, I guess it's an internal thing. So he's always doing stuff. He was uh, interviewed for the uh, this most recent uh, uh, AARO report. Uh, I think he was on News Nation and uh, WGN and a few other... Uh, uh, media in the states, um, so he's still in there like a dirty sock. He's still doing stuff. Well, that's good. They're, and and the thing is that they really are um, really not part of ufology. I mean, they're really focused on um, working on the instrumentation, the 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 technical side, like creating these sites for examining uh, objects in the sky and things like that. And uh, they're really working on, you know, it, it's it's very very technical. The engineering aspects are are quite phenomenal. So they're really focused on that. Awesome. Hey, we're going to come back here momentarily. I want to say thank you to Louie times three, Lavira, Deb, W Decker, Thomas, Mennonite, Abe, Pam, Tech times two, Andrew, TK, and Vaughn for the super chats. And remember our Las Vegas trip. Look at the ticker down below. We want everybody there. Everyone's invited. Come join us for a great weekend. Here we go.
we pass the halfway point of Spaced Out Radio tonight. My name is Dave Scott. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us and spend your precious time listening to the mighty SOR. I want to remind you that if you miss most of this show or others, check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor. Hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. Final time tonight, we're introducing Chris Rakowski, famed Canadian UFO researcher out of the beautiful city of Winnipeg, Manitoba, home of the NHL's best record team, the Jets. <laughs> I never thought we'd say that on this show. They're they're doing good. They're doing good. I know. Yeah. I'm not even going to talk about my mess in Edmonton or my mess in Vancouver that I cheer <laughs> for. But nonetheless, we're going to get more into UFOs and not hockey here, which would be an easy, easy transition for some of us. Let's get to more audience questions, Chris, if you don't mind. Okay. Tech702 is asking, what is the most disturbing thing you know to be fact in regards to UFOs? The most disturbing thing. Oh, hmm. Um, hmm, I can't, uh, I don't even know what disturbs. I guess what disturbs me the most is um, that uh, the, the stigma from the scientific community, despite the Galileo Project's efforts uh, to get, uh, you know, uh, a more respectable view of the, the UFO phenomenon, uh, there still is a very significant stigma um i uh uh you know i encountered that when i was uh, uh getting my degrees and i uh, and giving presentations and you know i have worked in a university environment for uh for more than 40 years and uh there even though at one point i won an award for uh um for public education from the university for talking about ufo's uh, a lot of props were were they, they wouldn't even entertain the the notion they just completely put it out of their their minds and uh, uh, there there still is a, a very strong backlash against anything to do with UAP and so when I see in this most recent AARO report um, that you know they they got you know three hundred some cases or reports um, after encouraging. Um, military personnel to report them and and assuring them that they were weren't going to be reprimanded or anything. Uh, just over the past eighteen months or something like that, they got three hundred reports. Um, you know that's that's good to see that uh, you know that uh, it's no longer the taboo subject in some circles, anyways. But it remains to be seen, and and maybe with. Uh, continued efforts within the scientific community and you know i, I have discussions with scientists uh, all the time uh, about ufos and uap and you know it may take some while to erode that but that's probably the most disturbing thing that there still is a, a strong scientific backlash against it yeah do you see a time here where in canada more university professors like paul kingsbury or other members of the scu start taking this subject more seriously I do. Um, you know, Paul's great. I, I guess I met him at, 
was it a was it a MUFON? Uh, yeah, I guess I met him at a MUFON uh, conference. Um, you know, and interesting, he's a geographer um, who has uh, written about uh, you know uh, the, the UFO phenomenon, and that's a as a discipline that you don't expect, but it has so much to do with um, uh, with people and and their environment, and you know that makes perfect sense for ufology. Um, and, uh, you know, the, there always has been, uh, the invisible college, you know, it, it's the t- not only the title of Jacques Vallée's book, but there's always been this group of scientists, you know, working in the shadows, studying UFOs, uh, privately and uh, talking amongst themselves. Uh, there's a lot of scientists, um, on, for example, the Galileo projects, uh, uh list right now. Uh, you know, organizations like MUFON and, and NICAP have always had scientists involved. But, you know, um, uh, there's always been some some level of science. I mean, every year there, and I think I made a post uh, about this as well, that there are uh, dozens of uh, doctoral and master's theses and dissertations about UFOs all around the world. Uh, that are published by uh, by grad students and and postdocs, uh, encouraged and and assisted by their advisors. Uh, so there's there's science going on all the time, and um, one of the posts that I prepared last year, I think, uh, or the year before, I made a list of scientific scholarly journal articles uh, that have been published uh, about UFOs, and the list is is hundreds long. Um, uh, it, it didn't start with uh, uh, with Avi Loeb. It didn't start with um, you know Jacques Vallée. Uh, the, there's always been uh, scientific articles published about UFOs. Even the New York Times, uh, you know, it, it it didn't start taking UFOs seriously with Leslie Keen. There have been serious articles in the New York Times going back decades and decades. Uh, so there's always been that. It just it, it, people just don't realize how much of an interest there really is. Um, I have published uh, UFO uh, articles in uh, scholarly, scientific, peer-reviewed uh, journals, um, and uh, one of the the few who have done that. Uh, and uh, you know, peer-reviewed by uh, you know uh, by scientists and, and accepted by scientists. Um, but you don't hear about those. Uh, Michael Persinger, who is a scientist at uh, Laurentian University for many, many years, he published more than 100 articles in peer-reviewed scholarly journals about UFOs. So there's always been that going on, but it's never really been realized by most of the scientific community and certainly not by the most most of the UFO community. Um so are we going to see more? Yes, we're going to see more uh, more of this. Uh, but I think we have to take a look what's been done. We're, we're standing on the shoulders of some giants, I think. Very true. Very true. Let's get to more audience questions here. Let's go to Garen. There was a case of the landed UFOs in Langenberg, Saskatchewan, 1974. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police investigated, and apparently the U.S. military and Canadian military did show up. Are you familiar with this case, Chris? Uh, I mentioned this one uh, just a few minutes ago. Uh, Langenberg, the fellow who had seen these these silver bowl shaped things take off. 
um, heavily investigated by the RCMP, and we have the documentation on that. I, I don't think the military investigated that I'm aware of. They might have peripherally, but most investigation uh, was taken by the RCMP. Um, fascinating case left, as I mentioned, these swirl marks in the, uh, in the field. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, it, uh, it really set the tone. Uh, 74, uh, was, uh, uh, a pretty decent year in terms of UFOs and I know that predated crop circles. Very true. All right. Let's go to another question here. And... It's from Tech Seven Hundred Two. Why does there seem to be no good encounters since four K cameras existed? Uh, great, uh, great question. And the reason is because cell phones are not designed to take photos of the night sky. Um, you know, one of the biggest issues that we have in producing the Canadian UFO survey every year is that you know we're up to around a quarter to a third, if not more of all reports um, have uh, UFO photos and videos. But if someone sees a light in the sky that's moving strangely uh, and you take a cell phone photo of it, you get a black image, maybe a little pinpoint, and that's about it. Uh, so you have a 4K image of a, of a tiny pinpoint in the sky, which is pretty useless. Um, and uh, uh, we're, that's why, you know, there are this push now. NICAP has, uh, has its uh, MADAR nodes uh, where they're, you know, going to try and take some images of the night sky. We, there's a, lots of all-sky cameras that are taking images now. Um, so we're going to be getting better resolution uh, as, as we progress. But uh, right now, most of the cameras that are out there aren't simply designed for taking photos of UFOs. Well, there you go. Let's move on to another question. Tony in the UK is asking, how on earth did this case not come into the limelight and the Congress report? I'm assuming he's talking about Falcon Lake and Shag Harbor. Um, I don't know why it didn't come into the limelight. It was all over the media. American media uh, covered it at the time as well. Uh, Shag Harbor's been uh, talked about. I was on um, Unsolved Mysteries twice um, and I, I talked about uh, uh, Falcon Lake uh, on, on that particular show. Shag Harbor, I think, was covered on Unsolved Mysteries as well. Um, so I don't know why it hasn't, and why hasn't uh, Congress included it? Well, Congress is only interested in, in current stuff. Uh, in fact, there's a big debate now uh, as to why uh, you know the, uh, the congressional stuff isn't going to be taking into consideration historical cases there's some talk about them including historical cases but until we see the data we're not sure whether it's going to be done as well curiously there was a congressional report in 1968 um but uh falcon lake and shag harbor were kind of just you know too late to get involved in that um uh, uh president ford um, you know, before he was president in 1966, lobbied to have a congressional investigation into UFOs, and he was successful. There was a congressional investigation um, in 1968, oddly enough, and then uh, Blue Book uh, finished in 1969. So we're hoping that whatever congressional investigation comes out of what's happening now doesn't kill the UFO field completely again, too. True enough. That is one of the fears that we have. Follow-up from Tony. Uh why do you think the Canadian government are so coy about UFOs? Um, well, 
you know, I mentioned, you know, part of the problem is that it's now Canada, which is a private uh, uh, body, not the Canadian government, that you can't, uh, you know, get access to information requests through. Uh, that that seems to be uh, the uh, the gateholder for UFOs. Uh, and they're certainly coy. Um, and I, I think because of that, um, the Canadian government simply doesn't have enough information. They don't have enough personnel. They don't have uh, the ability right now to handle it. In fact, um, Daniel Otis uh, found a document that, that said, I think it was last year, the year before, that the uh, even just handling the access to information requests have overwhelmed uh, uh, the the uh, uh, the uh, the Library and Archives Canada and National Defense in dealing with all the requests that are coming in. They simply don't have enough personnel. They don't have a, the capability of, uh, of dealing with it. So I, I suspect that uh, Canadian government is coy because they really don't have the resources to deal with the UFO phenomenon. All right. Let's go to Doug Shelby in Missouri. Our governments both cannot discuss or even acknowledge UFOs because then they have to share the technology with the world. What's your thoughts of this? Um, well, it's hard to say whether they uh, they can have they have the technology at, at all. Um, there are discussions regarding UFOs and acknowledgement of UFOs. I mean, the UFP task force and now the WARO. Um, acknowledge UFOs. They come out and say that uh, unidentified objects exist. Canadian government and Transport Canada uh, directs pilots to report unidentified flying objects using that term. So they've acknowledged it. Um, in terms of sharing the technology, that assumes that uh, you know that that the crash saucers uh, exist and there's something being done with them. And we simply don't have the information that 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 proves that. Uh, there's a lot of great speculation and, and bits and pieces here and there, but we don't have the, uh, the the proof of that. Maybe it exists. Maybe there's a nice Indiana Jones vault somewhere that has all the technology, but we don't have that. And it's a lot easier to lock it away in a vault and share it with the world. Final question from our audience tonight from Stephen. Is there frequent sightings in Manitoba also uh, if you think that white shell is still being used, I'm not sure what white shell is. Well, white, white shell is the white shell nuclear research facility um, where uh, the you know nuclear bits and, and the, from the crashed uh, Cosmos 954 and the Falcon Lake material was sent. Um, uh, it's largely closed down, um, and uh, they're. Uh, uh, they're archiving some of the materials there. So the, the nuclear research facility cell itself is largely closed down. Um, are there UFO reports in Manitoba? That's one specific province in the country of Canada. And I would say stay tuned because um, I'm working on uh, one of the things I've been doing since 1989 is producing the annual Canadian UFO survey, which looks at all the UFO reports that were filed in one country in Canada in a year. And um, over the years, it's uh, fluctuated. It's gone up and down. Uh, at the uh, the first year of the pandemic in 2020, uh, there was a large increase, and then it dropped off a little bit, uh, quite significantly. Uh, Canada has had somewhere in the neighborhood of 750 to 1,000 UFO reports filed every year, and that's uh, and, but it's across the entire country, and so different provinces have different amounts. It's related to population. 
I can tell you that we still continue to get reports from Manitoba as we do from British Columbia, Alberta, Nova Scotia, and Ontario and Quebec. In fact, we had a, a you know a, more from Quebec last year than we've had in in some time. So you know the the numbers are out there; they haven't stopped. UFO reports continue to be filed, not just with, through government agencies. Transport Canada had quite a few UFO reports last year, but also with civilian groups uh, like uh, UFO BC. Certainly, MUFON, uh, uh, New Fork, and uh, other groups have uh, had their share of uh, Canadian UFO reports. They're still out there. They're still being seen. They're still being reported. All right, let's get to Doug here. I'll, I'll throw in one more. Does Canada have or plan to have a space force? What exactly is the main task of such? Uh, I, I think our military just doesn't have the budget to do that. But we do have a Canadian um, Space Agency. Yeah, the Canadian Space Agency. Certainly, I mean, we're going to see a Canadian astronaut uh, go to the moon uh, in coming years. You know, that's that's kind of a space force. Um, I don't know if you watched the, uh, the Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Uh, but he went up to Thule in Greenland, which is where the, ba- the, the main Canadian Space Force base uh, is. And, you know, that's just a, you know, a hop, skip and a, a jump from Baffin Island. So, you know, there is some cooperation. We do cooperate with the United States Air Force uh, in the far north. So, you know, we don't have our own Space Force. But, uh, I, you know, there are uh, international uh, personnel that are, that are part of uh, the organization for sure. I'm going to ask you because a lot of NASA astronauts over the years and decades have come out talking about these anomalies and UFOs that they have seen while their rockets have gone into space and when they were on the moon. Okay, McDivitt is one, Cooper, you know, Story Musgrave saw something on a shuttle mission and many, many more. And, you know, our great astronaut, probably the most well-known Canadian astronaut, uh, Chris Hadfield, came out when this mm-hmm. whole subject started gaining traction, vehemently denying UFOs or the existence of from the space station when he was up there for six-plus months. Yet we have mm-hmm. a video from a Russian cosmonaut taken from that same space station showing a checkmark uh, of you shaped of UFO lights flying right beside mm-hmm. it. I mean, what was your thoughts when Chris Hadfield made that comment? Well, you know, it, it, uh, he's the, Chris is the most uh, vocal in that sense, but you know, most astronauts uh, of any nationality uh, are, are on his side. You know, there's nothing to UFOs, whether that's the party line or it reflects, you know, uh, uh, you know, something a little bit more. Uh, I don't know. Um, but it's true. There have been a number of astronauts that have been very, very favorable towards UFOs um, and, and alien life. And, you know, is it is it a matter of a different personality, different, uh, different views of the universe? Uh, you know, you know, your life changes when you set foot on uh, the moon uh, and uh, you view Earth from space and maybe you have a uh, an epiphany of sorts that's not shared by everybody. I really don't know what the what to talk, uh, what to think. Uh, every astronaut that I've personally talked with uh, has said that there's nothing to the to the whole UFO thing. So it's not just Hatfield, but is it pervasive? I really have no idea. 
I, I just find that very, very strange, considering even recently Elon Musk has come out stating that there have been anomalies follow, seeming to be following SpaceX rockets every launch. Yeah, uh, you know, and uh, maybe they're just curious as to the car. Maybe they're trying to get the car, you know, I don't know. The one that's orbiting right now. Maybe, yeah. hey. Yeah. You know, I'm sure its batteries are a little bit wrecked right now. They're running to, down, yeah. They're yeah. probably going to have to pay like 30 grand for new batteries. Oh yeah, yeah. Triple Triple A is going to have a have a big bill, there's no question. Oh, 100%. Chris, we got 3 minutes left before we have to say goodnight to you. Where do you see ufology going here? in 2023 there's a big push that there is a you know disclosure is right around the corner i'm not a believer in disclosure i'm gonna that's my opinion i think we are more in a confirmation movement what is your thoughts looking ahead at 2023 yeah i I don't uh i don't uh buy into the disclosure thing we've been hearing disclosures around the corner for for many many years now and uh, a lot of people have made a lot of uh, green on on the back of that. Um, I, I I think you're right. I think it's probably going to be more confirmation. I, I think as more um, scientists get on board with various aspects of uh, ufology, as uh, we hear more from the uh, uh, AARO uh, and the, the various task forces, and maybe we will get a congressional investigation, I think as more politicians uh, realize that their um, their voter base is interested in the subject to a greater degree, we'll get more uh, information that way. I think we're, you know, not a disclosure, not even a soft D or small D disclosure, but we're going to be, uh, you know, gradually teasing out more and more information as more research funds and, and more uh, investigations take place. I'd like to see more go ahead. Um, and uh, we'll just have to see what, what happens in the coming decades. And what's up for you the rest of the year? Well, I've got a few more uh, uh, books on the on the go. I've got, uh, I mentioned, I'm, you know, I'm, I've been involved in a number of organizations now. I've got the Canadian UFO Survey. Um, I've got my most recent book available on Amazon, <laughs> Canada's UFOs Declassified, which, you know, uh, details um, mostly uh, military and pilot uh, sightings of UFOs that were found in the National Research Council files uh, and cases that you've never heard of in some classic cases or things that should become classic uh, of things flying right, right over the heads of RCMP officers and pilots seeing things that... Uh, zipped around them. In fact, there's a, a a case very similar to one of the ones in the United States, uh, uh, the coin case, where um, uh, a fellow was flying his, his plane and a UFO uh, levitated the plane in flight. Uh, we had a case like that in Canada documented in National Research Council files. So, you know, these cases are out there, and uh, the more people realize it, the more people read about it, uh, they can use that ammunition for advising their own politicians, their own local politicians about them and get the conversation going. Chris Rakowski, it is always a pleasure to have you on Spaced Out Radio. we got to make sure it's not eight years again. Okay, I'll settle for eight <laughs> months, but not eight years. 
That's just me. Okay, though. it's a deal. All right, Chris. It's a deal. And you can find all your books up on Amazon, which is always an easy place to grab them. And and thank you so much, Chris Rakowski, for coming on Spaced Out Radio tonight. Coming up in hour number three, we're going to head to the swamp, and then we're going to get to Tim Senor and the UFO report. And it's not a pretty report tonight, believe you me. But it's something that we do need to discuss on Spaced Out Radio. Stay tuned. Third hour of Spaced Out Radio comes up right after this. Appreciate that so much, Chris. Thank you very much. Yeah. No problem. Thanks for having me on. All right. We'll talk soon. Okay. Thanks. Bye-bye. Chris Rakowski, everybody. I'm just going to quickly step away here, and I'll be back in a couple of seconds. And Evan Walters, you've already pissed me off for tonight, just so you know. And I haven't figured out why yet, but I promise you I will come up with something because that's what I'm good at. I'll be right back, guys.
That was a great interview. Great interview. So glad to have Chris back on the show. <coughs> hmm. All right. If you haven't yet already, let me just bring this up here. Let's go here. Let's go here. If you haven't yet already, make sure you sign up for, I'm putting the link in here right now, for our Facebook event for Las Vegas. We want to see all of you down there. You guys are going to have a great lineup of people to chat with and hang out with at our second annual fan party. And where is it here? If you go to the discussion page. All right. Here's who we have coming so far. Uh, we got Merle. Jurgen Hess and Damian J from the Hoodoo Tall documentaries, Carter Bouchard, Nate Rudd, Corey Rudd, Varla Ventura, Bigfoot Rob, Brian Bowden, and the Crypto Guru for talking cryptids. In the UFO world, we got Tom Whitmore, Science Bob, Lala Bright, Katie Page, R. Keith Andrews, Joe Mergia, Tim Senor, Michael Schratt, Melinda Leslie, Lorian Fenton, Grant Cameron, I think he's going to be coming, depending on his health. Jim Goodall, Geraldine Orozco, Ben and Joe from UFO Garage, Louie and Jason from UAP Studies, Steve Stockton from Missing Persons Mysteries, and hopefully the Swamp Dweller. Here we go. Would you like to connect with us? Head to spacedoutradio.com for all your latest show info. Now, back to Dave Scott and SOR. Third and final hour of Spaced Out Radio is now underway. Thank you so much for joining us. We very much appreciate earning your listening ears wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor. Hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Fantigue. Fantigue is your password. Use it wisely, Space Travelers, as the Clam sets a password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. It is time once again where we head to the swamp. Our resident swamp dweller takes us on another spooky journey. Hi, Spaced Out Radio listeners. This is Swamp Dweller. It's time for your nightly dose of spookiness on the show. If you have an interesting encounter or a spooky story that you would like to share, be sure to submit them in at swampdweller.net. You can also find our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash swampdwellerreads. Now, let's chill out, relax, and together, let's enter the swamp. Hey, Swamp Dweller. My name is Pam, and I'm from North Mississippi. I have a paranormal story to share for you. It's not the most scary, but it's actually kind of creepy. Sometimes, though, when I think back on it, it gives me a good laugh. Anyway, I used to live beside an old cemetery when I was a child. 
Some of these graves were from the 1800s, and they were pretty cool. My house was across the street from the cemetery, and my family and I experienced many events during the 12 years we lived there. We witnessed a large orange gaseous ball roll out of the cemetery gates and down the street before dissipating. We did learn that many people would see these strange gases rising from the cemetery. It was scary and weird. Also, when returning from dates, my sister would frequently see a man standing beside our house. But when my father would go out and check, there would never be anyone there, and there was never and there was never any sort of footsteps or any sign that somebody had been standing or walking around the house at all. There were also many nights that the garage door would shake and rattle to the point that it seemed whoever was trying to get into the house would rip the door off the hinges. Again, my dad would go outside and never see a thing. He'd even try slipping around the back of the house in complete darkness, being super quiet to try to sneak up on anybody who may be there. But when my dad would enter the garage, it would go entirely quiet, and there was never a single soul around. Every night my mom would lay my clothes out for school, but occasionally I'd have one shoe missing. Everything would be precise as my mother left it the night before, except for that one shoe. We would always find it in the most strange of places. We knew none of us would put it in those areas because most of the time none of us could even reach it. But let me get to the funny story, I guess. First, I have to give you a bit of setup. My mom and dad had some great friends who had kids the same age as my sister and me. All their kids had children around our ages, so my dad fixed us a playroom in the basement with all kinds of fun stuff for us kids to do. So one night, while our parents were in the kitchen playing cards, four of us kids were in the basement watching TV, playing on the racetrack or something. This was around 1970, so we didn't have video games, so watching TV or listening to the records was the main activity. It was common knowledge that weird things happened in our house, and we kids were sitting around talking about it. The oldest of the kids was a boy. I'll call him D. D was probably around 15 or 16 years old, and he was the group leader. He was the oldest, and he was the only boy. His sister Mela, who was 14, was there. My sister, who was 13, and myself, who was 8, were telling some of the strange things that had gone on around the house when we all began to hear knocking outside. It sounded like someone was forcefully knocking on the screen door that went into the basement from outside. We told my dad and he checked it out and you guessed it, nothing. So D, being the big bad boy of our group, flopped down in the chair and stated that he was not scared. He said that he didn't believe in ghosts. He then uttered taunting words as if he was speaking to a spirit. But what he said wasn't very nice. I can't recall his exact words, but I remember his sister saying that he'd better hope there's no ghost after all what he said. He then stated that he still would not be scared if someone flung open the door right now. Well, guess what happened? About two seconds after, both the basement door and the door to the house flung open at the same time. Now the screen door pulled out and the wood door pushed in. So, there had to be two opposite motions for this to happen and they were both locked. For them to fly open with such force just didn't make any sense. The force was so great both doors nearly came off the hinges. That screen door bent in a weird way, and it never was normal after that, and the doorknob from the wood door was pushed so hard it left a hole in the sheetrock of the wall. So now, there were four of us kids, three girls ages 8 to 15, and one boy, 16, big strong D, knocked all three of us out of his way, running out of that room, 
He was so terrified that he shoved me, my sister, and his sister into a wall to get by us as we all jumped up and ran to our parents. When I got to my dad, Dee was in his mother's lap and Dee was a big old Mississippi boy. That boy, who wasn't scared of ghosts, crawled into his mother's lap quickly after those doors slammed open. We never really figured out what happened, but Dee never again said he didn't believe and never again taunted ghosts. I don't know what was wrong with that house. I have to assume living next to a cemetery caused a lot of weird energy to go down. And we say thank you to the Swamp Dweller for coming on in once again as he joins us every Monday through Friday night to kick off hour number three of Spaced Out Radio. You can hear thousands of stories just like that while checking out his YouTube channel. I highly suggest you hit uh, subscribe on that as well. Very good entertainment. So make sure you do. Support the Swamp Dweller just like we do. From the swamp to the stars, it's time to head to Little Timmy Senor and the UFO Report. Nobody's going to know. They're going to know. Now, usually we start these UFO reports getting into some serious, serious UFO topics. But this is a story that I'm going to be honest with you. I I don't want to cover. I do not want to cover. But we have no choice. And sometimes, Tim, it gets like that. You know, we have talked a lot recently about this UFO group called UAPX, which, you know, we kind of had a a head scratcher about them a few weeks ago when they announced that they were now charging for radio and blog interviews up to $600 for an hour of their time. Now, behind the scenes, I had said to people that I know in UMPX how ridiculous that was, but that topic doesn't even compare to what we are talking about today. And Tim, I'm going to bring you in here on this uh, right now because this is some very ugly news that, you know, like I said, I, I hate talking about this subject. I try and keep this show away from this type of subject, you know, because we get hit with garbage like this each and every day. But sometimes you have to talk about it. And tonight, is one of those nights. So give us the lowdown on what happened with UAPX. Okay, so uh, podcasters have taken it upon themselves to do a little digging, uh, to do a little research into the backgrounds of some of the people that UAPX have been collaborating with. And so it does look like UAPX decided to collaborate with a company called New Tricks. And the CEO and operator of this company has a somewhat checkered past. And within the details of his past are some charges of uh, some uh, pedophilia and some child molestation and some pretty severe charges. And um, some of them going up to some in the number of counts were in the double digits in the in the counts, I think. And that was kind of the distress. And then uh, UAPX recently came out in support and in defense of their collaboration. And um, it 
took it upon themselves, the podcasters in our community, uh, in particular truth seekers, uh, who I think did an initial interview and then followed up by Disclosure Tonight, who went into depth and doing some research and some digging. And then recently, we've had some confirmation from even insiders to go into some of the deep uh, recesses of this case, which are starting to appear to be pretty dastardly. And so without getting into too much detail of that, I think the big focus is that UAPX definitely came out in defense of this individual, um, claiming that they like to support uh, um, bringing felons back into the community, which I think is fantastic. Let's not uh, dissuade any uh, commendation for that. However, I think there are certain rules and guidelines that may assess that. And I think when it gets to kids and uh, the trafficking and pornography and all the horrible things that go along with that, there may be a new line that we may need to examine. And I think that that is why it's being kind of alerted to our community that UAPX came out with a recent statement even in support of their decision. And so uh, Jeremy McGowan released a statement uh, four days ago, uh, and he named the statement Setting the Record Straight. And so I'll just read that here briefly. So here sure. in the United States, we society has, and so there may be some grammatical errors, and I'm just going to read it word for word. So here in the United States, we society has seen an extreme increase in both arrests and felony sentencing for our population. In 2016, over 110 million Americans had an arrest record. That is over twice as many as in 1997. Roughly two-fifths of the U.S. adult population is considered a felon. UAPX, Inc. knows it is extremely important to understand that each of those individuals has their own stories. Most of the time, details are private, and the reasonings behind what occurred are part of their personal journey. We may never be able to understand them. However, it is important to consider that these people seek to make amends and work towards a second chance at life. UAPX holds the ideals that the ex-convicts will still add value to society, given that they now are making efforts to change for the better and are getting their life back on track. Our justice system provides an avenue for citizens to receive punishments for crimes they committed and then return them to society after having paid the price by law and serving their time in prison through the judicial means. And so would you like me to continue on word for word? Yeah, do it. Finish it up. Society tends to make assumptions based on limited facts. However, the primary consideration is that we don't know the intricate details about the situation these people were in at the time of their commission of the crime. Living arrangements, mental health status, family situations, income, education, health, and other contributing factors cannot be cross-referenced by arrest status. Nor does any process currently exist to show the changes contribute contributions and personal growth, which these individuals uh, process through post-incarceration. The limited data that can be pulled together does indicate that felons, once released after serving time, may pay a higher long-term price for their crimes, even after the responsibilities to society are paid in full. Many data sets indicate that regardless of ethnicity, education, 
an ex-felon in the general population is far more likely to be out of the labor force completely than a some some longitudinal longitudinal surveys for example indicate that irrespective of ethnicity or education a working age working age man in the civilian non-institutional population is far more likely to be out of the labor force altogether than anyone who only has an arrest without a conviction or someone who has no history issues with the law. So this continues on here. And so uh, UAPX Inc. is a target of this hate attacks. And did you want me to go into detail here? Yeah, just keep going. You're, okay. we're, we're all listening to you. Don't don't stop. Okay. All right. So I'll just read every word here. So this is a correlation that has a tremendous effect on the ability for ex-felons to contribute to society, considering that around every turn, adult men nowadays have a con- felony conviction in their past. The amount of Americans who have had trouble by law should not be a matter of indifference or intolerance to forgiving society. The vitriol and hate which are applied to companies who see past prior mistakes and evaluate the people based on their potential contributions to the advancement of society through good works and efforts is extreme. And so UAPX Inc. is a target of this hate and attacks by contingent people who see the ins- who seek to insert their noses into situations they do not fully understand. This is shameful and an affront to the ideals of forgiveness. The attacks are a method to achieve a destruction on both an individual as well as to separate companies, separate two companies. They are heinous, disingenuous, designed to hurt, and come from the outside without the benefit of forethought or the understanding of any details. And so continuing here, take a step back and ask why these people are attacking UAPX for having a loss association with a company who maintains a CEO with a criminal past, especially when considering the punishment for the past was served and the individual's contributing member of society, engineering, advanced robotics, and the artificial intelligence applications. The most likely answer is that some of the people having a long history of issues with specific UAPX personnel are simply attempting to direct their efforts towards disruption, creation of a mob mentality, and the channeling of a cancel culture. So along with UAPX, along with companies such as Uber, participates in the United States government for Fair Chance Pledge, a program initiated back by President Barack Obama, which states that the heart of America is a nation of second chances. That's why the White House is calling on businesses and higher education institutions to invest their communities and eliminate unnecessary hiring barriers for individuals with criminal past. And so to finalize this statement, many leading companies, including some of the largest retailers and manufacturers in in the company, have stepped up to lead in these efforts by providing employment opportunities through the actions like adopting the ban the box policies. And so UAPX is not alone in its willingness to give people a second chance. There are many companies who have active, published, and well-respected programs for hiring felons. Let's take a look, such as McDonald's, Starbucks, Microsoft, Coca-Cola, General Mills, Delta Airlines. There are dozens. Additionally, New York City Bar in 2008 reveals that there are laws, and the law prohibits the denying employment on the basis of an arrest record. 
However, there's one primary factor that is none of the mudslingers have taken a moment to consider. UAPX Inc. hasn't hired any ex-convict or felon, though we aren't opposed to the idea as clearly stated above. The attacks upon UAPX Inc. reflect the ignorance of those people engaged in this activity of disruption and mudslinging. UAPX entered into a lawsuit agreement with a specific company for the development of a custom hardware to be used in our UAP UFO tracking and identifying identification efforts. The company, not the individual. While that company CEO has a history with a conviction, the work output value and ability of the company is not in question. So finally, UAPX Inc. will continue to persevere in their chosen field a field which is rife with stigma and pushback. We are in uphill battle every day in doing what we do. These attacks upon our community, our company do nothing but waste valuable time, energy, resources, and could be placed in uncovering the mystery of the phenomenon. Well, my, my first comment on this is, why don't you do your homework on whether or not this person involved with this other company is somebody you should be associating with within the UFO community. I'm all for forgiveness. If somebody is caught, say, 15 years ago with pot when it was illegal, fine. Somebody stealing food for their family or, you know, got in a bar fight and things went awry, fine. I'm all for forgiveness. But I don't care what anybody says. There is no forgiveness for anybody who harms a child, especially explicitly in that way. Now, the person we are talking about here, and I'm going to name him, okay, is a gentleman named Michael Joseph Barry, who is a tier three level criminal. Criminal. Yeah. 35 years old in 2012, where his victim was 15 years old. And it's alleged that she may no longer be alive because of this incident. All right. And the charges, he he pled down. He pled down. But the thing is, this dude is still on the sex offender registry for life. For life. We don't need this in the UFO community. All right. There are enough children traumatized every day in this world that we don't need this in our community. This is a stupid move on behalf of UAPX. It's a stupid move for them to be pushing this, whether it's a technological agenda or not. All right? If this is the best you can find... We don't need to associate with UAPX as Spaced Out Radio. As far as I'm concerned, they're done here. They are done. Now, I don't know. Like, Thomas Fessler from Disclosure Tonight did a great show on it yesterday that I saw. A fantastic show. And he brought on the former VP of UAPX, David Altman. And for people who don't know, David Altman is also a an agent for Corey Feldman. And Corey Feldman, uh, David was in tears because his best friend, Corey Feldman, has gone through this, through Hollywood 
and the sickness that is there regarding the sexual exploitation of young people and minors. Dave was in tears last night. Absolute tears. This isn't a revenge thing. That's what I got from that that whole report that Jeremy McGowan was was stating. Is that this is revenge on people who don't like UAPX that they're firing back. How blind do you have to be to think that bringing a a criminal and I'm I'm using my words wisely because of our terrestrial radio stations and our YouTube channel. When you bring a criminal into the fold of something of that, that stature, it's disgusting. And the worst part about it is it reflects on the entire community that we allow this type of person to resurrect themselves within ufology. And all it takes is one. We're going to continue with this when we return on Spaced Out Radio. I I have to say a lot more about this, and I'm sure you do too as well, Tim. Yeah, it's UFO Report, little Timmy Senor, our resident Timbit. We continue with this ugly UFO news when we return on the Mighty SOR. Makes me sick to my stomach, man. Sick Not to- easy to talk about. Yeah. 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 Has to be, though. And, um, you know, just Dave Altman, you know, congratulations on being the strongest person I've ever met for coming out and being strong on this, you know, cause that took a lot to come forward and talk on, on Thomas's show. Um, uh, but it had to be, you know, mm-hmm. and for other people that are looking for more information, um, I think, you know, the guy called in, uh, to truth seekers on Twitch. If you want to hear him actually try to defend himself, uh, but the fact of the matter is, is that more information is coming out from absolutely reliable sources that uh, you just, there's no coming back from. And, uh, yeah. I agree. I agree. And, you know, it's, I'm grinding my teeth here. Right. Me, I know, and me too. And, and I'm hoping and I'm pretty sure that since uh, UAPX and SCU work so closely together, we'll get something, you know, a statement from them too, I would hope. And, you know, something just along those lines, just where they're positioned, because, you know, I'm I'm sure the association must feel pretty sticky at this point. So everyone needs to be very clear on how they feel about that, because that's a big deal. It's a big deal, you know. Some things you can get past and some things you just, you can't. I I mean, I understand that felons deserve a second chance there, you know. Um, But if you're like, and also animal abuse is is also in there for me because I, that's pretty twisted as well. But nothing more so than, you know, hurting our children. There's just, there's no, there's no 
excuse. This it's and and also let's also consider that there is no cure for what we're talking about here. And I'm not even going to say the P word because it's a horrible word, but there's no cure for that. And so serve your time. Absolutely. But um, there is no rehabilitation, right? Um, Right. You can't just get a job and have, and get a great income and then go on with your life because now you have got an income and a source of a way to make a living. It's not like that. It's, it's, you know, I don't even think therapy, I don't think they have anything for people that are suffering from this mental illness, which is, let's be fair. I mean, it must be. Well, I can't, uh, I can't, uh, I can't imagine uh, going through that. I I really can't. I mean. But Dave, why would you connect yourself even by three degrees of separation with anyone that, I mean, why and why? And how could you have a conference call with someone? I, I, I just, I don't know, buddy. It just, <clears throat> there are certain things uh, we'll get into more guys. I mean, I, I see a bunch of questions coming up. Okay. We'll get into more here, uh, coming up when we come back from the break here. Cause there's no point. But we do have a UFO report too. Um, well, we'll see. Know, if, so we'll we see. If, we'll see if we get to it. We'll <laughs> okay. If we Let me know. Cause we, we do have stuff. If people, if it's too heavy for people, I mean, you know, yeah. By the way, happier topics. At one fifty nine PM tomorrow, my daughter turns twenty-four. Whoa. Yeah, man. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing, buddy. I, Congratulations. Where, where to did her. time go? You know, she was five pounds thirteen ounces when she was born. She was six weeks early. Oh. And to see the the beautiful young lady she's become now, wow! How how do you have a twenty four year old? That's the thing. You've got oh a God. baby face, especially with your new haircut. You look so young. I know. I know. It's the gray that makes me look old. And uh, we are going to cheer this up here uh, later on. So let's just uh, um, continue here for another few minutes here. can't believe you made me read that whole thing. (laughs) We're out at third. We're heading for home tonight on Spaced Out Radio. Good to have you with us. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears. want to remind you that if you've been uh, listening to this show and you've heard most of it, you can check out our free archives at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you 
Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. We bring in Tim Senor for the UFO Report. We're going over a real, real dirty, dirty subject, and I don't mean to downplay this at all, where a UFO group called UAPX has recently started working with a company called Neurotrix, Neurotic, what, what's that company called, Tim? You're very close. Neurotics or neurotics, something like that. Yeah, yeah you're close. Yeah. yeah, and one of the big issues with this company is the fact that one of the people they're associating with is a child predator, convicted child predator, who is on the registered sex offenders list in the United States for life. I believe uh, it comes in three tiers, the third tier being the worst, and he's in that worst one. And this isn't very going over very, very well in the UFO world. It is currently trending on Twitter, and that there are a lot of people out there who are not a fan of this, nor should they be. The sad part about it is the members of UAPX are literally defending this, saying a criminal deserves a second chance. Yeah. Somebody who hurts kids does not deserve a second chance. Let's get that first and foremost. Whether, No matter what the situation, there is no oops, I'm sorry I did that. There just isn't. And there's allegedly more information about this gentleman coming out. I have not had it confirmed yet. I know Thomas Fessler on Disclosure Tonight's YouTube channel was talking about the fact that he allegedly is more involved up until 2020 regarding things to do with trafficking, allegedly. So, I mean, how do you deal with this? How does a company in the UFO world think this is a a good move? I mean, Tim, you read that entire defense that they that Jeremy McGowan from UAPX put out. How do you write that with a straight face? Honestly, how do you write that with a straight face? Um I I think the only way to write that is to not have all the information on the person sitting in front of you. Because if you're informed, you wouldn't take that position because I know he's a dad too. Um, and also considering that allegedly, you know, there are 10 counts or more and that it's ongoing. So you're talking to someone that isn't seeking therapy, obviously. And even if there was, uh, ther- I'm sure there's some sorts of therapy, but I don't believe there's a cure. And so, uh, you know, well, it, it may be a very drastic cure if there is a cure. Let's just assume castration would solve that problem. But uh, it's just very hard to accept. And so, I I mean, it's just one of those things that is going to probably, you know, speak volumes towards their future. It, It also speaks volumes as to how absolutely desperate they must be for tech and gear and help. Because um, there are so many options for this very simple piece of gimbal tech that they, you know they basically sold their soul for, um, which really hurts to see, because it's an easily repri- you know you could replicate that 
um, you could do a better design even. Um, but it's just one of those things, you know, if it's being donated, perhaps they're compelled to look past some shortcomings. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I haven't had any conversations. I can only assume by actions. But um, I'm a father of a large family, and um, I wouldn't feel comfortable working around anyone, even if it was via, you know, uh, a long distance. Distance doesn't make the uh, action okay. And so I have a really hard time with this case and um, this whole situation. It is it is very hard to talk about, to be honest. So, uh, it, but it needs to be because honestly, it does kind of address the uh, thinking of this company and where they are right now. And it does affect us in the community because we are getting information from them. So, Dave, back to you. Where where are you at with this? Well, I'm going to read some tweets that are currently being put out on the hashtag Good. UAPX because, you know, we always want to get public reaction regarding this, and Twitter is always a good place. Uh, you know, here's one that from uh, Kane's reign. Uh, well, it's my opinion someone convicted of, or in this case pleaded guilty to, aggravated and that kind of assault of a child should never be out of jail or alive for that matter. Your thought process along with those at UAPX makes no sense whatsoever. You know, there... This, you know, there's a gross mockery of memes, you know, with UAPX members standing in front of minivans with free candy painted on the side. You know, uh, here's another one. I'd love to be a fly on the wall in some of the key government offices right now. Sadly, given anything government related or sponsored on UAPs includes UAPX is going to be disappointing. Always has been good forces within are still trying to change though. That is good. You know, Olo brain says a party for the end of the world, UAPX, you know, I mean, people are disgusted by this. Here's Doug Giles, PhD. What did you expect? Ufology and UAP, whatever is about making money, not investigating the UFO phenomena, you know, hashtag UAPX. And that's what it is. This this is a move about greed. It's not about moving things forward. It's about greed and what they can do to make themselves better. And it's horrible. It's horrible. It's disgusting. I mean, you have to do your homework. I once accidentally brought in somebody who I did a bunch of research on to talk about a controversial subject. And that person, you know, within 45 minutes of this show starting, I find out is a, is a sympathizer of a certain German group from back in World War II. Everything that I searched on the guy could not find anything because you have to be careful. You have to do your due diligence regarding your guests regarding people you associate with. And we don't need this in this community. We really don't. And let's hope that UAPX comes to some common sense and pressure from the public to make the right decision, the proper decision, 
before they hurt their own credibility even more and or hurt the UFO community's credibility even more. This is something that, you know, we struggle on a daily basis, Tim, to try and bring people into this community. They already think we're a bunch of tinfoil hat-wearing nutbars, the mainstream public. All right? They already think that we have screws loose and that we are at the bottom of the barrel of society. And now we have to deal with something like this? If you are registered for that kind of crime, like you said, Tim, there is no turning back. I'm all about forgiveness. Okay? I am all about forgiveness and giving criminals a second chance once they paid their dues. But you know what? There's a caveat to everything. And harming a child in one sort of way or another does not register on my list as somebody needing sympathy or a second chance. Not at all. And I know the UFO community, if I if I know them well enough, okay, they're not going to stand for it either. They are not going to stand for it. And we should be thankful for that. This is where you talk. Yeah. I wasn't sure if you wanted to go on to the next. Well, but yeah. We are going to, but I still, in radio, it still works better when you talk. <laughs> it does. Okay, bud. Well, you know what? I, I totally just kind of agree with you on this. It needs to be one of those things where hopefully the next few words we hear out of their mouth is that, oh, we didn't know. Right. That would be great. If, if they didn't have all the information before they decided to come out with this. Now, unfortunately, I think you and I both know that there's some pretty high rollers within some of these companies that probably have access to such things as records, you know. <laughs> so and they I, probably do have all the information. And I don't believe that if UAPX was called in for anything to do with the government – that because of their ties to this person, whether he's a contractor or a friend or not, I don't think that they could associate with him and get an NDA. I think you may have a great point there. I'm not sure You're about that. I don't know how potentially right. I don't know how the wor- uh, it works with that. I'm not in the government, but all right, let's move on here. Let's let's go because I have a real important story to get to here uh, later on here in the show. Okay. A former director of national intelligence undermines the effort to downplay unusual UFO cases. What's going on here? Yeah, uh, exactly. And so on Sunday, uh, the 15th of January, whilst appearing on Fox, former U- United States director of national intelligence, John Radcliffe, sensationally commented on the UAP and represented himself this way in a quote saying that objects that demonstrate technologies that seem to defy the law of physics and capabilities that we don't have as the world's superpower. And he added our role in the federal government is to provide for the common defense. And we can't do that if someone else has technologies that are better than what we have. And so furthering that in these comments that were made in response to a question about the U.S. government's new UAP report, which highlighted 247 UAPs uh, reported since just last June in 2021's preliminary assessment report. 
And so there were another 119 reports either discovered or reported that fell within the original 17-year period, but were not included in the preliminary assessment. And so according to the report, that brings the total number to 366. And so the 366 number support claims that made by the office of the director or the the ODNI source rather provided to Daily Mail reporter Josh Boswell with this exact number of additional cases in October of 2022 when the report initially was expected. So the new report which was eventually released on the 12th of January, provides no details on the unusual characteristics, rather no details. And so we know nothing about any of the characteristics demonstrated by the UAP, which are included in the 171 uncharacterized, unattributed UAP reports. And so him coming forward with this shows that there's... (laughs) Tons of unclassified and classified videos that are profound and pretty clear. And in his quote, he continues to say that they don't want to talk about this stuff because they really, really just don't know what they are. And that's the truth. So how does that make you feel knowing that the ex-director is coming forward so blatantly and uh, claiming that there's so many unusual cases demonstrating technologies that seem to defy the laws of physics? Well, I, I think it's it's nice for him to come out and, and tell us everything that we already know. You know, I mean, look, until it comes out what they really, the U.S. government really has, we're going to get these people coming out, gee, I, I didn't know really what was going on. This is all a surprise to me. Oh, my gosh, could you believe this? I don't believe it for a second. I don't believe it for a second. There are people in the know. All right? There are people in the know. Yeah. And also when he, he was actually quoted, you know, or they, I think the reporters actually asked him directly if he had any direct knowledge of the existence of aliens. And it almost seemed kind of canned how he responded with a... a uh, uh, well, uh, I, if I did know, I wouldn't be able to comment on it. You know, that very canned response, but it seemed as if he was even pretending to have to think about it, which is so frustrating to see because it just airs to the lines of lies. You know, if you're even having to fake a response, it's just icky. <laughs> It is. It is. But you know what? It it just goes to show. You know what? He actually may be telling the truth here. He may not have been read in. This may be all a big surprise to him. I mean, we really don't know. Do I believe it? No. Do You know, I believe that these people, when you get to that position, they may not tell you everything, but they tell you a lot. Right, but even Secretary of Defense Ronald Moultrie denied transmedium activity had credibly been reported, commenting, saying, We have not, to the best of my knowledge, had any credible reporting that we've been able to analyze of transmedium activity or transmedium objects. But we have the 2019 U.S. Navy film of the spherical object that Jeremy Corbell released going down into the ocean, which I would assume 
that uh, Moultrie had access to and had seen. So it seems deceptive, does it not? Well, it always does. Look, you can't trust him. Remember, we got a narrative going on here, Tim. We got to remind the public we got a narrative going on here. And as long as that narrative is in play, there is no way, no shape, no how that we are going to be able to get, get what we need for information regarding this subject. Somebody knows. Okay. Somebody is in the know. We need to figure out who. We need to figure out why, because we the one thing that we can only guarantee through this entire thing, Tim, is that they're not going to tell the public about it. Not at all. And on that note, I want to show you something here, Tim. And hopefully our audience will be able to, to hear this. Okay? Because everybody knows every now and again... We have a a gentleman come in named El Avni Volador, right? Some I, I've actually been accused of being this El Avni Volador guy. I'm not him, not not me whatsoever. Okay, but here's the thing: El Avni Volador, as you know, he's a little bit of a mouthpiece. So, as you know, we got our Vegas event going on. And this professional wrestler named Navajo Warrior had some pretty insulting things to say about El Avni Volador. The challenge down right now to El Avni Volador. You and I inside a steel cage. Let's call it the Area 51 match of doom. 15-foot-high steel cage, tethered together by a 15-foot-long leather strap. Nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. You and me, one-on-one. Let's do this. This is the Navajo Warrior. What What do you do with that? What do you do with that? Well, you can't run from it. Like I hope, whoever, I you that, know that Navajo yeah. warrior. I've done some research on him. Okay, I've done some research. You know, he bench presses close to seven hundred pounds. Hmm. Okay, this is a guy. What can, what can El Avni bench press? Where, where's El, El Avni? I don't know. I've never seen his training regiment. Hmm. Okay, but all I'm saying is this: this Navajo warrior. Even though he could bench press like 700 pounds, even though he could probably deadlift about 1,100 pounds or 1,000 pounds, whatever it may be, all right? I can tell you this. I've seen El Avni Volador because he's attacked me every now and again. I really, truly believe the Navajo Warrior does not know what he's getting into. It's scary. It is scary. And then he wants to have a strap match with a 15-foot leather strap? How do, how do you defend yourself against Psycho in the squared circle? Power is one thing. 
But mentally unstable for El Avni Volador? That's another. I have a feeling that El Avni Volador is literally going to respond to this. One way or another, he's going to respond. And I'm scared. I'm scared. Yeah. Yeah. Literally, I am scared. I, I think Navajo. I think Navajo warrior, and his and his beautiful bride, crazy hot Morgan. I I think they bit off more than they could chew here. I really do. He seems like a nice guy. To be, I mean, it's not what you wanted to hear, is it? Well, I, hey, I'm gonna be a, I'm gonna be a Navajo warrior's corner. I'm just afraid for him. I'm just afraid for him. That's all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tim? He seems great. Thank you for a great UFO report. Really appreciate you. Thank you you. to Swamp Dweller for coming on in, telling us a great story. And, of course, to Canadian UFO legend Chris Rakowski for his great information on UFOs in the great white north. We got Mr. Ron Bumblefoot Thaw rocking in the background with Little Brother is watching. Bumblefoot is the official music of Spaced Out Radio. Rocking us in and out of every single show. Get your horns up for the guitar god himself. Special thanks to everybody listening in at home, at work, in your cars, wherever you may be. Thank you to everyone in our chat rooms tonight. YouTube, Twitch, LGAP, Facebook, Spreaker, the Space Travelers Club, LinkedIn, and on Twitter at hashtag Spaced Out Radio. Remember, this show is copyright by Spaced Out Radio and SOR Media Ventures Limited. Thank you so much for choosing to share your evening with us. Because together, my friends, make a mistake. We're watching. We own the night. Mr. Bumblefoot, we need a favor. We need you to take us home. Yes, the root train has docked for the night. But soon, my friends, we shall ride again. Your seats are always available. Your tickets never expire. And if you want to bring a friend, we've got room for them, too. Good night.